Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome to the first movie episode of 2023. This week we're talking with Nikki from Trivial Theater, and we're covering the much maligned, but also beloved, depending on who you talk to, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. This episode is a long one, so I won't belabor the intro, but I will say, if you want almost an hour more of conversation from this episode, I will have a bonus Star Wars Tangents episode up for you on Patreon. We talked for literally almost four hours about this movie, so if you want more, there's more to be had. Okay, that's all for now. Let's get into this episode, talking The Phantom Menace with Nikki. So when you first saw this one, did you like it at first? That is, <laughs> it's a loaded question. Um, so I saw the um, original trilogy when they came through the theater, um, like a couple of years before they were the re-releases of the original trilogy. So yeah, this was not I think that my first. Been yeah, yeah, exactly. So this wasn't like my first introduction to it. But to have it with fresh eyes, it was like the the sequel trilogy. You know, you see it, and it's like it's a brand new thing, but it's a thing that you love kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've complicated feelings on it because I think, generally speaking, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Like the effects were cool. I walked away a little bit underwhelmed. I mean, the hype, the hype for this thing alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think any modern blockbuster, like not, you really can't say that about Marvel so much anymore, but say like infinity war or, mm-hmm. or even more end game or, yeah. um, Oh God, I don't know. The new, the new Indiana Jones, when it came out, you have that simmering fandom that, that, you know, grows and grows and grows when they know that there's something new, mm-hmm. you go and see it. And that poster, I mean, it was just, like Anakin, like kind of looking down, and then the shadow of Darth Vader behind him on Tatooine. Mm. I mean, holy crap! That that I think that is one of the best teaser posters I have ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I'm gabbing on, uh, but <laughs> that's what we're here for. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, but it's focused gabbing, not like you know, random here and there gabbing. But if you walked in, I was just all I could think was if you walked into that movie, and I saw it as a as a teen, so. That was a little different story if you were walking into it as a kid or someone that was 100% new to the franchise. But walking into it and knowing what Anakin would become and regarded, yeah, he's a kid, but I didn't see any sign of the Darth Vader that he was going to become. There Mm -hmm. wasn't any, you know, he was such a good kid, you know, just that, that, you know, oh, well, he's a, he can build anything, you know, and he's selfless and does all these things and it was a hard jump from there mm-hmm. to, you know, the guy that basically killed all the Jedi and destroys the whole world, you know, mm-hmm. the whole universe. Yeah. Uh, I did actually see there was, um, I should have looked it up beforehand because it's been a really long time since I've seen it. There was a deleted scene that I wish that they had left in simply for the fact that it showed him as a real kid. He got into it. Um, and actually I think it was with um the kid version of Greedo or the, I read about that. Yeah. They like, he bit like beat up, kid Greedo like Greedo was a bully right and beat and him so up or something he, exactly and he was like well he was a he was a he was being rude or he was bullying everybody just to show that perspective of okay he is a real person and not just an analog you know perfect kid but also it shows that there's more than just what's on the surface mm-hmm. and I know that they talk about how and we'll get into it but how him being taken from his mom so early made a difference and that would but it just there was so much of it that just 
I don't know. And I mean, Jar Jar is a point of contention, but Jar Jar is Jar Jar and certainly didn't make or break the movie. I liked the technical advancements. I liked to see um, like Jedi's doing stuff in a more official capacity as compared to, mm-hmm. a, ooh, it's the last one of its kind kind of a deal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Again, it was one of those things where it hardly took away from Star Wars as a whole, but it certainly gave a different perspective that I I wasn't expecting. This could have done with <laughs> a little bit of editing, I feel like. Probably. From like an idea perspective. Because there was. I mean, you don't want this to just be a repeat of the original trilogy. And we've seen kind of what happened with that with like Force Awakens. And, mm-hmm. you know, when they go too far away from that. And Lucas even said straight on he wanted, he didn't want to do what he did with the OG or the original trilogy. But it was a bit, I don't know. It lacked the things that made it Star Wars to some extent. I can see that. I, obviously, it didn't bother me because I didn't grow up with the original movies. Oh, I think I've, I've said before, when I was a kid, we weren't allowed to watch Star Wars. And then when this came out, I don't remember how long it was between it coming out and me finally convincing mom to let us watch it. It might have been <laughs> a year. It might have been like two years. But I was I would have been very early teens, like maybe 14 or 15, when <laughs> I finally watched all of them. So it wasn't something I grew up with like the original trilogy so it wasn't like i was so attached to the original trilogy right. that this was somehow a betrayal especially if oh, this no. is the first one i ever watched so percent. Oh, i guess to me it's this has always been star wars oh no and i agree i, I can 100 percent see that and you know i and it's not even i'm not going to sit here and say you know not my star wars because it is star wars it, it tells a different story mm-hmm. um i think it was more in the execution of it like the depth of character Everybody went where they were supposed to go and did what they were supposed to do, but there wasn't that, I don't know, the depth of personality felt lacking a bit. It was just people doing things. I think it was probably, at least from what I've read, in the original trilogy, he had people that came in after he wrote the scripts and like cleaned Ah. them up and did rewrites and fleshed out the characters a little bit better. And with this, this was all Lucas. Like, this is what Lucas wanted. Everything was Lucas. The dialogue was Lucas. And I think that that is why this is so different. Agreed. Because he didn't have somebody coming in to, I don't know, enhance his ideas. (laughs) Uh, And I get that. And that's the thing. Lucas is very much an ideas person. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that just that the way that they talk is so, so not even formal. I'm not even sure how you would explain how they speak. Yeah, yeah, it's like they're saying in 15 words what you could say in three. Yeah, there's a lot of clunky dialogue in these. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> and it's not I, all I didn't bad. notice as a, ki- as a kid. But, but you don't. nowadays, you know? that's like my biggest turnoff with the sequel or the prequel trilogy is the clunky dialogue. I, I still that. like them, but right. the dialogue is... <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was just talking with somebody about like watching these... The, well specifically this one first n- didn't bother me at all because like i didn't grow up with it so i didn't care about jar jar anakin was fine i think when i watched this is about the point where we were also getting internet and like getting online more so uh. after i had watched this i had my own opinions i love the movie then i started getting online and you start hearing how much people hate these movies specifically this one and i think for a few years I kind of let that change my opinion. Oh, so I'm sorry. It, it happens with a lot of things. Oh, I know. But I know. 
I know. I'm sorry, though. That sucks. And it's not like I look back and feel bad about having my opinion changed. The only thing that I feel bad about is I think not that I would have ever seen him or talked to him or even said anything online myself, but like Anakin as a child, I just did not like him. Yeah. Mostly because of stuff I read online, but I can tell now why people didn't like him, but I don't think it's his fault. Oh no, it absolutely I think it's the is. dialogue. It it is, and and that's that's the worst thing about it because, and it's not just a Star Wars thing by any stretch. But you look at um the way that I'm gonna screw up his name, the guy that played Jar Jar, like the voice of Jar Jar, and and I guess he also did Ahmed the Best, I believe. Yeah, I mean he got raked over the coals. Uh, mm, the kid yeah. that played uh, what was his name? Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd, thank you. But that kid, I mean, he got raked over the coals. You know, if you go to the the sequel trilogy, um. The, the lady that played Rose got raked over the coals. There's just, there's so much attached to that stuff and it shouldn't be because there's no reason for that, mm-hmm. you know? They go after the actors when it's not the actors' faults. No, it absolutely isn't. And, you know, you get more, especially, and we, I mean, it's it's not rocket science by any stretch, but, you know, if they have a Twitter account, <laughs> mm. you, they people go after them there and it's just... They believe that their opinions are are worthy of this this person hearing because they ruined Star Wars or whatever. It's just mm-hmm. ridiculous. I, I just you, you feel for them because they just accepted a role. You know, yeah. you know, Anakin, you could even say it here recently with the Razzies. Um the the girl that played Charlie and Fire started got um got oh, a, I heard got a about Razzie. That. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, edgy, you know, edgelord type humor, I'm sure is what they were going for, but it's a it's a it's a it's a terrible move. Who does that? The girl was twelve or yeah. thirteen or whatever. Who, it's, who it's does bad that? enough to make fun of adults, but when you start going after kids, that can that can really mess somebody up. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you saw what it did. I, look at how many child actors deal with that kind of stuff, and not even from a social media perspective. Well, Jake Lloyd, like yeah. he doesn't act anymore. I think he was diagnosed with schizophrenia or something. Oh God, poor guy. He that he sucks. he basically the the fandom kind of ruined his life poor guy that that any of them that i just yeah when you see a child actor come out the other side Mm -hmm. and be i mean whatever whatever constitutes normal it's you kind of cheer for them because it's like you came through the fire and you were okay but yeah he got an unfair shake and every so i mean Hayden Christensen didn't make out much better, but at least he was more of age and had a little bit more of an established career at that point. Yeah. Not that that makes it better, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that kid versus an adult thing. Yeah. And, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, and that's not, not to bring down the room, but that's one of the very, cause this movie wasn't, it wasn't the perfect movie, but it's mm-hmm. far, it's far from bad. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I prefer this one to the second one, honestly. I think for me, I prefer the second one, but also that was because the second one was the first Star Wars movie I ever saw in a theater. Ah, makes a difference. I just absolutely loved it. Plus, it had a lot of creatures that I really loved. Oh, yeah. So, And it took place more in the... This movie, for all of its locations, is very much not set in space. It has amazing locations, mm -hmm. but you don't get a lot of the space element of Star Wars. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to go and revisit Attack of the Clones because I haven't watched it in years. So in a little while, whenever we get to that one, it'll be interesting to see if my feelings have switched 
at all. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I loved that movie when it came out because, like I said, it was a little bit after I had watched all of the movies. And at that point, I'm like firmly a Star Wars fan. And then going to see this is my first Star Wars movie in a theater. I loved it. Nice. Nice. That's very cool. <laughs> and the theater just, it does make the difference, doesn't it? Like when you, yeah. when you hear like the Dolby surround behind you and you you hear the, the spaceships rolling through. I mean... And then they come up over your head and it's just like, ah, ah, ah. I think the theater is probably part of why I get out of movies with like, I call it my post movie high. Mm -hmm. And I, when I first see a movie, I think of it so much greater than sitting with it a while and thinking about it. (laughs) Like, I'm sure I've said this a bunch of times, but when I first saw Jurassic world, I left the theater. I was like, that is the best Jurassic park movie I've ever seen. It's better than the original. And then a while later, I'm like, what was I thinking? It was not. <laughs> but it's probably the theater setting. It's just so immersive and cool. And yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we can probably get into the movie itself with the main story. I guess it depends on probably how old you are were when you first watched it, but it took me a while before I was able to figure out everything that was going on with like the politics and everything. <laughs> it it seems like it's I get it now, but back then it was just so complicated and I didn't really understand. Like I knew that Darth Sidious was Palpatine, but I didn't really understand why he was doing what he was doing, and I didn't really understand both sides of the war thing right or the war that he was setting up in this movie but yeah it took me probably too long <laughs> to, well, to figure okay. out what was going on did did you have anything like that when you were a kid did you understand what I was understood going on? by and large what was going on i mean once you got when you hear the name paul patine you go okay anything he's gonna say is gonna be in theory filled with like a lot of extra stuff that isn't gonna be good for anybody but him Mm-hmm. Now, to what level? Because we really don't know when he came in as like evil, whether he was evil from the beginning of this, whether he, you know, it happened later on. All we know is that he was the emperor in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of, that doesn't really answer it, but that's kind of <laughs> the overview of it. Like the details were like, okay, back and forth, but the actual thing, it's like, okay, if if he's associated with this, 90% chance it's in it's for his own stuff. So I think I was also confused as like to who the Trade Federation was and why they were attacking Naboo. And I don't I like I said, I don't think that I really understood how they were also being manipulated. So everything that they were doing, I mean, yes, they were doing it, but they weren't they were doing it because they had been so influenced by Palpatine playing well, not playing Darth Sidious, he was Darth Sidious, but like he was doing this dual role thing and influencing people on both sides. And it was confusing for me younger. I mean, it still kind of is. (laughs) I always have to think about exactly what's going on in each scene (laughs) to figure out what's going on. I don't know. I think that's fair. And I always question like how much of it was like, because in addition to being a Sith Lord, he also had quite a silver tongue when it came to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there's crossover between those two things. But I was wondered how much of it was mind tricks and how much of it was just him being a really, really good, you know, politician. At least from this, I'm just assuming it's him being a good politician because I didn't really get the sense 
that he was using some sort of mystical force on that the trade true. federation or on queen amidala that is true because i feel like the i mean the jedi were always aware of something that wasn't right but to hide it that well you probably mm-hmm. don't take undue risks yeah and like i'm not i'm not 100 sure how the force works but like i think if he was using the force all the time i think the jedi would have figured it out at least you i would hope so. <laughs> yeah yeah you definitely think so i mean and they talked about in the later later sequels um that he was able to manipulate the force in a way that was pretty rare but or hide himself in the force but yeah to that extent all the time i don't think he could mm. but yeah the the crux of the movie is that the trade federation is blocking all shipping to naboo they're basically eventually going to be taking over the planet but right now they're just blocking shipping and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have been sent as ambassadors from the Republic, but the Trade Federation knows that they're just there to force a settlement and right. to get rid of them. So the Trade Federation, once Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are waiting for them, they call Darth Sidious because he's the one behind this whole thing. And he basically tells them to kill the Jedi and get ready to invade the planet. And they try, they use some sort of poison (laughs) gas, which doesn't work, and they escape. And this is where you're introduced to what is one of my favorite kinds of droids, but I know a lot of people don't like them, the battle droids. Oh, the droidicas? Yeah, those guys were cool. No, I mean, I just mean the battle droids. Oh, okay, got it, The idiots. The Roger Roger. (laughs) Yes, I love them. (laughs) I think they're hilarious. They are quite funny, and there are... And I'm sure it was written that way, but there are some moments of humor where you go, was that on purpose or did that just randomly kind of <laughs> happen? Like the whole, it's so goofy, but the whole, like the concept, Roger, Roger, it's uh-huh. just, yeah. And they do make more fun of that as they go along, like poor 3PO. I think it was on, was it in Attack of the Clones where he gets his head put on a uh, yes. battle, battle droids? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and you get more battle droids later on in the Clone Wars series, and I think they lay into the goofiness even more in the Clone Wars series. Nice, but I don't know. I think they just add a nice level of levity to scenes that wouldn't otherwise get any. Well, and it's an interesting because you could almost put put them in as a placeholder for stormtroopers, and their yeah. aim is better, but they are still kind of in that comical realm for a lot of the things that the stormtroopers did in the original series original trilogy yes plus this allows the jedi to hack them to pieces without you feeling like (laughs) oh no they're hacking up humans exactly Exactly. (laughs) because the like with the the stormtroopers it's slightly a gray area because they're completely encased in armor and you never see their faces so Mm -hmm. you don't feel that bad with the droids they're literally just droids exactly (laughs) you can chop them up whatever and we'll say my favorite, and I had forgotten that I really liked this scene because there are, it's kind of a mixed bag of scenes, but there are a couple that are just, they give you goosebumps because they are genuinely pretty awesome. When the um, battle droids go over to the door and the door opens and there's just that smoke or the, just that gas kind of sitting there. Mm-hmm. And then the C3 or the, the 3PO unit kind of like run, like goes, Oh, excuse me, and leaves. And then you see the two lightsabers pop up. Oh, uh-huh. God. So yeah. cool. Yeah. 
And you mentioned too the droidekas or droidekas, the destroyer droids. Those are also very cool. They're not as mm-hmm. hilarious. They're not. They don't say anything, but their design is very cool. And I yeah. like that they have the force field thing around them. Yeah, it's a neat addition because there's not a lot of that in the original. Like obviously they didn't have the the way to be able to do a force field uh, mm-hmm. practically. Yeah. Well, the Jedi escape and they stow away on the invasion ships that are being sent down to the planet. And they're trying to get to the Naboo. I think they land on the other side of the planet and they've got to get across the planet to warn the Queen. And then they're going to try and contact Chancellor Valorum, who currently leads the Republic. And isn't that Tobin Bell, the Chancellor? It kind of no. like he sounded like he didn't. Okay, never mind then. Oh, I'm blanking on his name. General Zod. The original? Yeah. Oh. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> I'm completely blanking on his name. No, that's okay. Oh, duh. Terrence Stamp. Oh, okay, yep. It was the first name is Finnis. Yes, I saw that one. I went down many Wikipedia rabbit holes. So, yes, <laughs> oh, I did I see that his name was <laughs> Finnis. <laughs> well, the fact that Valorum is kind of a variation on um on Valium, isn't it? Like, it's kind of a sleepy thing. Oh, I don't know. I suppose it could be. I'm Star Wars has a lot of weird names, some that are based on things like that, some that are just completely made up. Like hardly anybody knows that Senator Palpatine, his first name is Sheev. Really? <laughs> it's such a weird name. Sheev Palpatine. Can you imagine as a kid his mother going up to him? Sheev Palpatine, you get in here right now. <laughs> this is his evil backstory. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. Oh, yeah, back with the Trade Federation. The two main characters here are, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce at least the last name correct, Rune Hayako, and of course, Newt Gunray, who is the Viceroy. He's like in charge of everything, but Rune is his right-hand man, and they're always together throughout the movie. There was another guy, but he was like kicked out because he questioned something at the very beginning. And I, th- yes. I think Rune might have taken his place. Either that or he was just there all along. But those are the two main ones. Well, and the, the third one, no, maybe it was the second one. He kept saying, because Newt would be like, hey, just shut the doors. And they're like, the other guy's like, that's not going to be enough. Make sure to double up the droid army or the droid guards. That's not going to be enough. <laughs> yeah, he was questioning their methods. So they got rid of him. And they shouldn't have because he actually knew what he was talking about. <laughs> But they get a call from Queen Amidala, who is calling about the negotiations, wondering what's going on with the Jedi. But they claim that they don't know anything about this. They've never seen any Jedi. And she knows that this is a lie. She says they've gone too far this time and hangs up on them. And I think they know that she's onto them. So they decide they're going to cut all communications to conceal their attack on the planet. And... She calls Senator Palpatine because something you learn about Palpatine is he's from Naboo, so he represents Naboo in the Senate. So she calls to tell him about this, and he says that the ambassadors did arrive, but then communication is cut, and they realize that this means that Naboo is being invaded. And I think they're trying to get her to, I don't know, fight back, but she says she does not condone a course of action that will lead to war. And that would be a hard place to be anyway, and I find it like the history of the um, Naboo royalty or like who becomes queen. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of fascinating. I think it was always 
like 14 year olds and they or i think it was that always female always 14 year olds they always have the handmaidens and it's mm-hmm. like an elected position it's really it's quite an interesting setup it is and i like it in a science fiction setting but this would be extremely unethical if it was in real oh, life. <laughs> absolutely well and it's not like it's the first time like i know england had child kings and they had their stewards but you know it's mm-hmm. still all that good stuff so oof. but even that it's like they those not that it makes it right but they were born into that line with this they chose to put a 14 year old in charge <laughs> very true that is very very true at this point the trade federation send the battle droids to search for the jedi because they're no longer on their ship and they think that they've snuck down to the planet with them and of course they did they escaped from the ship they stood away on and they run into jar jar banks <laughs> <laughs> who i never had much of a problem with watching this but it's because i mean i didn't grow up with the originals so he was just always part of star wars for me oh yeah well and the thing is again it's I mean, he was there for, in a roundabout way, he kind of fulfilled the Chewie role, I think. Kind of, except he's dumber than Chewie. <laughs> oh. Yeah, just just a, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I felt bad, like, the, and I don't know, because I think they uh, this was meant to be more kid-friendly, and you can definitely yeah. see with Jar Jar Binks, and, and actually the Gungans in general, but I think that you can see that aspect of it. Um, and I suppose with Anakin too being ten, but mm-hmm. or not, what was he nine or ten? Anyway, um, that whole thing you can you can see that aspect of it, but it's done in such a weird way, like oh, you know, a creature farts and he goes pee-usa, or <laughs> you know, it 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 almost is a little too much, yeah. Given, the, given what it is, and it's not again, no, no, nothing towards Ahmed Best by any stretch, but no, this is all in the script. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. That's not even a question. So, but it's weird because on one side of it, you've got this very intense political drama. And then on the other side, you have Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, if you've ever, if you've ever heard the um, conspiracy theories. <laughs> yes, I have. Oh my God, they're hilarious. <laughs> Part of me wishes that that was true. Because I think it would be so great to have Jar Jar Binks suddenly turn into a Sith Lord. Oh my god, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that it was probably not the plan. Right, but right. I think I would have liked that. It's one of those conspiracy theories that I, I could have honestly have sort of gotten behind, but... <laughs> god. I, at some point, I remember when that first started coming out, somebody made this very convincing YouTube video and put all this stuff in it that was like really pointed to this is how that was actually supposed to be. But I, I think that they were probably exaggerating some of it because I, when I watched it this time, I didn't really see much of what they were talking about. Yeah. Well, and a lot of that stuff could be taken however you wanted to take it. Yeah. But I also, yeah, like, yes, I know Jar Jar is ridiculous and the Gungans aren't much better, but I kind of like that because, I mean, it sets Star Wars apart from other science fiction franchises because you have such a huge diversity of what the aliens can be. And I just kind of like that there's these frog people who are kind of ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and who's bigger frog people, the Nemoidians or the Gungans? 
don't know. I, the Nemoidians are kind of they're more like lizard fish. <laughs> I can see that. I think, but like Boss Boss Nass definitely has more of a frog feel oh, to yeah. him than say Jar Jar. But yeah, there's a definite there's a definite thing there. But the, the larger the Gungans get, the more frog like they become. <laughs> They almost felt like different species within the within the Gungan kind of. I think I thought they were when I was younger. I didn't sense. realize that Bosnas was the same type of creature. Now I know he's just supposed to be like an overweight version of. The but he same doesn't creature. have the ears, even though does he? Like they're tied behind. like eyes. Oh, are they? Oh, okay. Yeah, like a ponytail. Okay. Ah, makes hearing a quite difficult. I would imagine. <laughs> Can you speak into yeah, my I ponytail? <laughs> It's like, um, oh, uh, Judy from uh, Zootopia, where her ears are, are, um, oh, yeah, yeah, anyway. (laughs) We'll say the design on the um, Gungan City. I love, I love so much of the design, yeah, that they put into it. Like, there's so much thought from the design of the the cities, yeah, and then you get into Amidala's wardrobe. Oh, my god, they're just there's so much thought put into those little details, yeah. yeah. And with the Gungans stuff, it's probably one of my favorite cities in Star Wars, the underwater cities. I wish we could get more of that. We don't spend too much time there. I think it just looks so cool. But it also makes me wonder, like, where did they get this technology? Because, like, everybody calls the Gungans, like, primitives. And maybe that's supposed to be, like, a stereotype against them. But I still wonder how they either discovered or invented all this technology. Because it seems... Like, it's more advanced than a lot of stuff that Naboo even have. Like, the the force fields that yeah. surround the cities and keep them breathing air underwater. And then their weapons later on, the blue orbs. Like, it seems beyond what the Naboo have. And maybe that's the point, because they call them primitives, and they're, maybe they're just not primitives. So I would almost... Um, have you seen any of the um, like Black Panther stuff, like Wakanda? Yes. Okay, so when I watch this today i kind of equated like it i mean it is essentially a hidden civilization they know about the gungans but they don't know that much about them it seemed like okay yeah um so i would almost take it as being that they've got their city is sort of hidden you know that and it's people kind of go on the fact that oh it's they're just they're just primitive when actually look at all this stuff that we they're they've got hidden behind you know walls and stuff kind of yeah not in the same way that's true that makes sense Especially because, like, yes, they ride around on the duck horses, whatever they're <laughs> called. <laughs> but they also have, like, spaceships, like, for underwater, but they're basically a spaceship. So they definitely have technology. And it could be, too, that, like, they're so used to being underwater. Because, you know, the reason that the Jedi ran into Jar Jar was because he had been, you know, basically kicked out of the city. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have the means to be on land because they've never had to like they've never had to be for a consistent amount of time. That could be why they they use the animals. It could be. Yeah, that makes sense. Or it's it's um modified to be able to be used on land maybe. Yeah. I don't know. We I guess we just don't get enough backstory. There's probably a lot of backstory in the expanded media and I just don't have time to read all the expanded media. <laughs> Well, there's I spent so, too much, much so much time on Wikipedia. <laughs> no, exactly, and that's the thing. There is so much. You know, you could you could probably live your life and just do Star Wars research. And there's probably people that oh, do, probably. 
both paid and unpaid. Um, but even putting aside the the classic stuff, you know, the the books that they before Disney bought it, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there was so much lore, and you know, you'll always hear people say, "Well, you know, you don't understand this book or do this movie. Go and read the books." And it's like that's great, but you still kind of have to because there's books, mm-hmm. there's cartoons, there's um, now shows, digital shorts, there's graphic novels, there's so much, you know. Mm-hmm. It almost becomes a case of wow, this really piqued my interest. I'm gonna go check out these three books on you know this character or this situation. Mm-hmm. I, that's probably one of the reasons why I like Star Wars so much is just because you could do a deep dive into like any character's backstory. Like I'll get into it later, but like they have backstories for like everyone. Like if you if they pass by somebody who's just in like three frames. Somebody has got to have written a backstory for that character, and it exists on Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I ran across what was it when? And this is down the way a bit, but um, the other hut with with Jabba was Gardula. like, yeah, yeah. I was reading up on that, and it's like, oh my god, this this other hut that's in scene for like you know half a minute is you mm-hmm. know. She was she was the original owner of Anakin and Shmi. Oh, okay she's mentioned in one line like they were sold to gardula the hut who lost them to Watto, and ah. then it it never says that too is behind jabba right but you look it up on wikipedia and yeah that was gardula <laughs> the hut that's awesome <laughs> there's so many things like that I, yeah. I have a couple that i wrote in my notes for later but it's just it's Not so that. ridiculous the minute level of detail that they have in these i love it but I think too that's it's there is such a fandom, and you know there are the the toxic elements, but a lot of the people just want to be there and want to be part of that universe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's why the Disney exhibit is so popular, and to be able to step into all these areas, and the reason that they thrive so much, and the reason that this series is still so strong after such a long time is because of all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as for, as much as it could be toxic online. That's just a tiny portion of the fandom. They're oh, just yeah. the they're problem just really is they're loud. the loudest ones. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, agreed. 100%. This is where you find out that Jar Jar had been banished. So nobody there is happy to see him. And they don't care about the Naboo because the two species don't get along. Boss Nass wants to get rid of them. So Qui Gon sort of uses the force and convinces him to give them a ride so he gives them a ship to take through the planet core and at first Jar Jar is going to stay there Boss Nass says that he is to be punished <laughs> 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 I like the way they phrase some of their words that's one of my favorites punished <laughs> it's very kind of like it almost sounds like a New York accent there you know it's it's a we're gonna punish you <laughs> I'm sure they probably used some, like, a mix of accents to come up with their own for some of these, like they do with some of the languages. Like, in, I don't remember what it was, but the in the show Andor, there's a bunch of scenes in the first few episodes that take place in Cassian's childhood on a planet that does not speak English. But all of the words were put together from a mix of, like, three different maybe south american languages so it sounds very real and i I like when they do that it gives things an added layer of 
realness. So I'm sure that they did some of that with the Gunkins and probably the Trade Federation too. Oh, I'm they sure so. Accent. That would be. Can you imagine trying to voice act that though? Like any of that stuff. You know, it would, you need it to would be tie, difficult. Oh my god, you need to tie your tongue in knots. We're not <laughs> going to see you on camera, but you need to tie your tongue in knots in order to um, properly pronounce these things. Yeah. But Qui-Gon convinces Boss Nass to send Jar Jar with him because he saved his life, so he says that in their culture he owes him a life debt. So he reluctantly goes with them, even though he says better off dead here than in the core. <laughs> Which apparently was probably true because they almost get eaten multiple times. Yeah, just the size of creatures. It's like all of a sudden Godzilla shows up and it's like, oh, hi, Godzilla. <laughs> Basically, Naboo has a, a species of some sort of kaiju living in their oceans. Basically. Well, probably multiple ones. I mean, they had, a, what is it? Uh, not an anchor fish. Uh, the one that's got the big gigantic t- lantern fish. No, not a lantern fish. The one that has like the little bit of bait outside, you know, on yeah. a little glowy thing. I think Jar Jar calls it a goober fish. I don't know if that's its actual yeah. name or not. Well, who knows? He could just be naming stuff randomly. <laughs> Boss Nass is actually, you know, his name is like Fred or something. <laughs> well, there's a page on Wikipedia for the goober fish, but it says legends and there's no canon. Oh. So apparently, at least in legends, there was a species of something called a goober fish, but Jar Jar was using it as a description of another fish that was not a goober fish. Ah, okay. So, okay, <laughs> here we go. The The lantern fish, football fish, whatever you want to call it, the thing with lights, mm-hmm. it's the OPC killer. Okay. Sometimes referred to oh. as simply an OP. <laughs> that sounds so... Uh... So just chill and, and easy going. It's like, oh, hey, it's an opie fish. And all of a sudden it brings out its teeth and, you know, they're like the size of a human. <laughs> and at some point they also almost get eaten by a colo clawfish, which is the thing that looks like an eel, but it has mandibles like a spider. Yeah. And then the kaiju thing is the Sando Aqua Monster, which is the biggest one. A fair name. I don't remember if we talked about this or not, but like, I think I've said before, like when I first watched this, like we weren't allowed to watch a lot of things growing up. So when I watched Phantom Menace for the first time, the scene where the, I guess it's the OPC killer gets grabbed by the Sando Aqua Monster and ripped in half. That was like one of the most disturbing things I'd ever seen. (laughs) Fair. Very fair. (laughs) It didn't stop me from loving it though, because I thought the creatures are so cool. I, I love creatures. So, yes, I was disturbed, but I still loved the creatures. There was a lot of good stuff to be had there. You also get in here a scene with the Trade Federation contacting Darth Sidious again. And he tells them that he's got the Senate bogged down with procedures and they won't have any issue with them. But they're worried because they think that the Queen thinks the Senate will side with her. And he basically just says, don't worry about it. She's too young and naive. He hangs up on them, and Rune asks Newt why he didn't tell him about the missing Jedi, and he says, no need to report that until there's something to report. <laughs> <laughs> An incredibly smart answer, given who they're dealing with. <laughs> Still going through the core, you. <laughs> there's a lot of lines from Jar Jar that 
I don't know if they're iconic, but they're very memorable to me. <laughs> <laughs> and you have one here where they're they're trying to get through the core, and Qui Gon tells Jar Jar not to worry about getting through. He says the Force will guide us, and <laughs> Jar Jar says, "Oh, Maxi, big the Force." <laughs> well, that smells stink a whiff. <laughs> I just imagine Quagon turning around and going, do not make me turn this bongo around. <laughs> we'll throw you out to the OPC killer. Exactly. <laughs> or the Sandawakwa monster, because exactly. the OPC killer was OPC killed. <laughs> <laughs> You're literally just going to be a, a toothpick for him. And a moose-boosh, <laughs> if you will. Uh, yes. So the Trade Federation's plan is to force the Queen to sign a treaty, which will legitimize their occupation at least to the Senate. So it looks like they're doing everything legally. Mm-hmm. And she says that she's signing nothing, but Newt tells her that in time, the suffering of her people will persuade her to sign it. He sends her and, I don't know, her court, her guards, the people who are always around her. Her handmaidens? Yeah, all of those. He sends them with the battle droids to be processed, whatever that means. <laughs> i think it was to put them in they don't really get into that side of it which makes sense but they they're putting them into camps so yeah towards the end of the movie somebody like a spy comes back and tells them that the people have been put into camps so that's probably where they were going but they don't get very far because qui-gon and obi-wan have arrived by this point and they ambush them and rescue her and all of her I don't know. I, I keep wanting to call them her army, but they're not her army. It's her handmaidens and her general and mm-hmm. the it's other people posse. who are you always could, with her. You could call them her posse. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so they convince her to come back with them to Coruscant because that's where the Senate is. And she reluctantly agrees. They take her ship and fight through the blockade. They're almost taken down. But they're rescued by a fleet of R2 droids, all of which are picked off, except for one, which turns out to be R2-D2. <laughs> and the question is, that's I found that to be a really interesting way to do ship repairs. Like, it makes sense, but it's like, mm-hmm. where he's like, oh, we're losing all of our droids. It's like, yeah, <laughs> maybe they need their own little uh, shield things or something. That probably would help. I don't know. <laughs> You don't really see shields on many of the droids. Like the no. droidicas, they're one of the only ones. I think you get a, f- a few bigger, like I guess the bigger the droid, the more likely they are to get a shield, but you never really see them on the little droids. Yeah, I suppose they'd be expensive and clunky because the generator probably would not be the simplest thing. Yeah, probably. But R2 manages to fix the ship enough to get them out of there but apparently the hyperdrive is still leaking and they don't have enough power to get to coruscant but they are near enough to a small out-of-the-way planet called tatooine so they decide to stop there for parts because the trade federation they're kind of like all over this area but they're not on tatooine because tatooine is controlled by the huts so they figure it'd be a good idea to go there because even though the huts are dangerous they're not looking for them so they can kind of sneak in and out so back to the the droids on the ship real quick i i found it so interesting that the pilot of the ship was like oh my gosh the little droid out there the little um little droid out there he fixed the thing oh my gosh he rerouted power and he was kind of going through that and it's like 
No <laughs> one's going to know. They're going to say, okay, he plugged this into that and everything works. You didn't need that exposition. <laughs> there was a bunch of scenes like that in this movie. It was most notable when it was coming out of Anakin. But yeah. yes, that was that guy specifically also did it a lot. He's basically there as an exposition dump. <laughs> and it was unneeded exposition. Yes, no definitely. one needed to know that, oh, he rerouted power. It's like no one's going to say, well, according to the uh, the Nubian, you know, T-14, um, you know, specs, the area of the ship that they were working on, you know, was was not able to do what they say that it was supposed to do. You lied or something goofy like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure that I know people do that with um, the Enterprise, but, you know, that's a very specific <laughs> thing. So. Yeah. No, that that's just another one of these cases where there was a lot of stuff that could have been cleaned up if it had been gone over by some like a, a script doctor. Yeah. Just do some rewrites, get rid of just some unnecessary dialogue. Yeah, just small stuff. I mean Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I thought that was funny though. I got thinking about it. And it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're on their way to Tatooine and the Trade Federation have to have an awkward Skype call with Darth Sidious. Oh, that would not be a call I'd want to be on. <laughs> he tells them if they can't get the Queen back, he's going to send someone who can, his apprentice, Darth Maul. And I I, I, th- I feel like this is one of those things that has been, I don't know, meme to death. But it, it cracks me up, maybe because it's a meme, I don't know. But after he hangs up, Newt says... This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things in this movie that have become memes. Oh, 100%. There's a whole subreddit think... dedicated to prequel memes. <laughs> I mean, given how the movie was received, that doesn't 100% surprise to some mm-hmm. extent. I also think that the memes have also helped to... I don't know, redeem the movie in some fans' eyes because now they like it for the memes. Oh, agreed, agreed. And it makes you think about the first time you saw it, which, you know, you probably still were in wonder of what you were looking at, so. Mm. Back on the Queen's ship, she's commending R2 for his bravery, and she orders Padme to clean up the droid as best as she can in order to show their gratitude. And I know this is supposed to be like a big reveal for later on, but Padme is actually the queen. Gasp. So I'm just wondering, (laughs) did Padme want to show her appreciation to the droid and have her handmaiden tell her to do it? Or did this handmaiden just want to see the queen performing manual labor and make her go and clean up the droid herself? (laughs) (laughs) My thought is uh, she decided, hey, you know what? She stole my shoes last week. I'm going to make her do this. So. I mean, because they're all kind of in that, uh, you know, mid-teenage range uh-huh. where you can be a little bit uh, vindictive towards your fellow handmaiden. <laughs> I mean, I would have done it. Well, the Naboo don't seem like a people that would execute somebody who wronged them. So she's probably going to be fine if she did this as a <laughs> as a prank. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're they're just you know the the handmaidens that were there were there for the queen previously, and they they, know they're just setting the ground rules. Like, hey, you know what? When I'm wearing the garb, you listen to me. (laughs) It's amazing, you know. (laughs) (laughs) 
They're like, when you're done cleaning up that R2 unit, uh, you can go shine my shoes and um, get my next hair piece ready. Because this hair is getting bigger. <laughs> and depending on who all know this secret, it's not like she can protest. <laughs> Especially in front of um, all the other folks that were there. Yeah, like she doesn't want to reveal, like, hey, I'm actually the queen. Stop telling me to do all these chores. <laughs> Eventually, they get to Tatooine, and they land far out in the desert so they don't attract attention to themselves. And Qui-Gon, I don't know why they're taking Jar Jar, but Qui-Gon and Jar Jar are going. And Jar Jar says, this son doing murder to Misa's skin. <laughs> He was an interesting choice to take to a very, very, very dry desert planet. If it were me, I would have just left him in the ship. <laughs> exactly. You know, let him let him go use the spa, which you know an, um, a Naboo ship has. Of course. Because it's a queen ship. I mean, we learn about her wardrobe later, so I would imagine, you know. They've got to have all kinds of amenities. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they're heading out. And apparently the queen has ordered them to take a handmaiden with them, which is Padme, who is actually the queen. And Qui-Gon doesn't want to do this. He says, it's not a good idea, but that's what the queen wants. So that's what they're going to do. I mean, she's taking, he's taking orders from essentially a feather duster. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the rest of the outfits I can by and large get behind, including the one that has her in um, braids covered in, um, pantyhose but that particular one she looks like a feather duster <laughs> these are descriptions of the queen's wardrobe that i have never thought of a feather duster and braids covered in pantyhose that's what they look like though isn't it like not i guess so one, but i never thought like... of them that way before like the rest of them are so cool and pretty and then you get these two and it's like oh okay <laughs> I've got, I do kind of wonder about her wardrobe sometimes because on the one hand, it's ridiculous and impractical, but on the other hand, I'm wondering if they do it like partly to show her status and partly because with all that stuff on, you don't really notice that they're swapping out handmaidens right and left and there's a new oh, face under, the, under all this makeup every time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's very much the point of it. It's like, um like a distraction yeah that's that's kind of what i was thinking like they use the makeup and fineries to just distract that oh that's not the same queen that we just saw yesterday exactly your eyes are a different color what <laughs> <laughs> well and i don't know how much i really paid attention to who was who when i was a kid like i don't think i noticed that they were swapping out handmaidens in different scenes yeah because, well, partly because I knew from the start that Padme was actually the queen. Yeah. Because even though I wasn't allowed to watch Star Wars, I was still mildly obsessed with it when this came out. And I was reading all <laughs> that I could about Phantom Menace. Like, nice. Pizza Hut had some sort of thing going on. And I remember going, I think it was a thing in public schools, too. But, like, for homeschoolers, we were in something called Book It. Oh, Book It was great. I love Book It. That was like my favorite thing because you read all these books, and then you get free pizza. Yeah, a good combination. And I remember going to a book it thing at Pizza Hut and they had something to do with Phantom Menace going on. And there was like all this information on like a placemat or something. Mm -hmm. So I was like reading all that stuff. And at some <laughs> point in there, I found out that Padme was the queen. So it didn't ever occur to me that the reveal at the end was actually supposed to be a twist. 
because I knew it from the beginning. They get into the city and they meet a Toydarian named Watto. Oh, and what a Toydarian he is. <laughs> I really like his design. He's so weird. He's like a lizard mixed with a tapir mixed with a hummingbird. <laughs> oh, agreed. He is, uh, I don't even know how to describe what he's wearing. Like, th- that always catches me. Like, he's like got a dad bod. <laughs> <laughs> It's like okay, good to know that dad bods are not just a, not just a human thing. I think that that's kind of just the basic Toydarian shape because there's an episode of Clone Wars that takes place on Toydaria, and ah. I think all of them were that basic shape. So oh, that's, well, that's just, good to know. Dad bod is the default. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Just imagine a little, a little, a little toy Darian like walking around, and the the dad's like, "Oh man, you know what? He's got a bod just like I, I do. Oh, I'm so proud." <laughs> oh, sorry. Now I want to see a baby toy Darian. Oh, I bet you they're adorable, with exception of the um, just the 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 five o'clock shadow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they don't get that until they become a dad. <laughs> oh man, I did, and I know it was an obvious thing to add in, like you know, a way to counteract the Jedi powers. But I do love that uh, they're immune to mind tricks. Oh yes, <laughs> I will say too. I was a big fan of the design, especially considering like where things go. I really enjoyed the um, design of Sebulba. Yes. I I like the, the, it's so, his body type is so weird because it's like his hands are his feet and his feet are his hands. Very much. And you think about a lot of, I'm not dissing on Star Star Wars design because you think about all of the creatures that they've had to come up with, but so many of them are like, okay, we're going to take like the head of a tiger and the body of like a donkey and we're going to put them together. This is like Sebulba and and Watu as well. They feel very or Watu. They they feel very like organic and like inspired by, but not so much that you could see those various elements like clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I like how yes, it it seems sort of like a mix of a tapir and a lizard and a hummingbird, but it's just off enough that it's not immediately obvious that that's what it is. Right. It just fits. Like they've mixed them in such a way that it seems like a natural combination, like right. a real creature could be. And the physics of it generally work. Like I don't know if Watto's wings could hold him that well, but they work for what it is. And it's not like you give a giant set of wings to a little mouse and expect that it's going to, you know, work properly. The physics of it are pretty consistent. I'm just going to say they work kind of like bee wings because everybody used to say there's no way that bees should actually be able to oh, fly, true. even though they can, Right. obviously. So I'm just going to assume that however bees do it, that's how <laughs> Watto does it. So he's also part bee is what you're saying. Good to know. Sure. <laughs> well, he's a busy, he's a, he's a, he, he leaves people uh, stinging after he leaves. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's a busy bee. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too, but uh, he, uh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've probably mentioned this before, but I didn't have a lot of Star Wars toys as a kid. But one of the ones I did have was a Watto. Oh, cool! That's awesome. 
I'm not sure where it is. I'm sure it's around somewhere, but I did have a Watto toy. It was part of a line of toys that came with this chip thing that you had to buy this separate reader. So you set him on the chip and then you put the chip in the reader and then he could talk. But I never ah. had the reader, so he never talked. Well, that's okay. You still got kind of a cool thing. Yeah. I also had a couple of Lego sets, I believe. Lego was too expensive to get a lot of when I was a kid, but I had a couple of small ones. I had the well, I had the Cloud City ship, like the dual cars that were like connected. Yeah. Those were cute. This one I wish I could find. I, I, I suppose it still exists around here somewhere, but I had the Gungans on those duck horses <laughs> as Lego <laughs> as Lego characters. Oh, I bet you they were adorable. They are. I like those things. I need to figure out what the name is. I just like calling them the duck horses. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's more like an ostrich because they have two legs, but eh. they ride them like horses. Kadu. Of Haydu? K-A-A-D-U is how it's spelled. Kadu. Interesting. <laughs> We're just going to continue to call it duck horse because I think that's a better name. Anyway, Watto says that they have lots of that <laughs> for the <laughs> ship. <laughs> so he calls in his slave to watch the shop while he takes Qui-Gon out back. And this slave is a nine-year-old named Anakin Skywalker. Never heard of him. <laughs> and well, one of the first things he does is ask Padme if she's an angel. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just just gag me now for that particular aspect. <laughs> Which apparently in Star Wars, an angel is an actual species of creature. And I didn't remember this, but they actually appear in the really? Clone Wars TV series. Really? <laughs> Their actual name is the Diathem, but they are called the angels. Oh, are they like um, the Weeping Angels? from? Uh, no, the, they're uh, Doctor Who? white and glowy. Ah, okay. So they're not made of stone and scary and... No, like... they're supposed to be very beautiful. Okay, cool. They're weird looking, but they're supposed to be very beautiful. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> you could do a whole a whole um side thing on just all the random creatures that we talk that we kind of go off on tangents about. Oh, definitely. There's more coming up. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I have notes for other things too. <laughs> 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 it took me forever to get this done. It took me oh, like I, I watched this over multiple days, just chunks at a time, because I kept stopping on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, I, I hate to say this, but I think you might have an addiction. Probably. <laughs> you get another minor exposition dump here because you have to find out all about Anakin and what he wants and his dreams about, and he's going to fly away from this place and. He gives his backstory about being owned by Gordula the Hutt while losing him in a bet with Watto. And she says, you're a slave. I'm a person and my name is Anakin. <laughs> Which, I mean, I could see for a kid that age, you know, um, I would have before this said, there's no nine-year-old that's going to say this, but I've met eight-year-olds that are very, very much about that. This is who I am kind of a thing. So mm -hmm. Asserting that, you know what, I'm, I'm not just this. I'm more than that or whatever. Yeah. I mean, this is by this is not anywhere close to his most clunky dialogue, but that just oh, always stuck out either. to me as one of his lines that 
didn't feel true. exactly natural, but I no. suppose there are kids that will say things that you wouldn't expect a kid to say. So, um, yeah, no, very much. But yeah, it's definitely a very for a movie. It's a very very clunky piece of dialogue. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Is it better or worse than? I hate sand. It's rough know. and it gets anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They're kind of equal. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Different actors, same basic idea. Yeah, just the the clunky dialogue is. But like I said, this is not the worst. The worst comes later. <laughs> I will I will mention when we get to the worst. <laughs> and put in your bets now. Put them down below in the comments <laughs> as to what piece of dialogue you believe is the most clunky in the Phantom Menace. <laughs> What is your bet? Oh, God. I think the angel comment for me is probably the most, not necessarily clunky, but just cringe-inducing. And it's not even, I feel bad, because I don't mean to say that against a kid, but... No, like I said, I I no longer hold this against the child. I used to say I hated baby Anakin, but I don't anymore. It's not his fault. The script needed some work. Oh God, it needed. <laughs> this felt like not not first draft, but it felt very much like there needed to be smooth like it was it was they brought it to like a very rough diamond state, but it needed more polish. It needed another yeah. few times in the uh in the thing. Mm-hmm. Anyways, after you get through all of the exposition you find out that Qui-Gon had no luck getting anything. Watto doesn't take credits. He isn't influenced by mind tricks, so they have to leave. Like, Watto is one of the few things that, um, he's one of the few people that really, like, doesn't have a lot of clunky dialogue. That's true. He's a, he's a very believable character. Yeah. <laughs> you totally believe that someone like him exists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I take it back. Just I was just looking through my notes. The clunkiest piece of dialogue that is so exposition-y that it, it feels like it was written by someone still in college. Master, I heard Master Yoda talking about midichlorians, and I was wondering, oh, yes. what are midichlorians? Yeah, that is up there. It's not my least favorite, but it is up there. <laughs> <laughs> my least favorite is very short. It is one line, and I will, we will get to it. Oh, <laughs> You have me intrigued, because there's so many that it could be. <laughs> so they're leaving Watto's shop, going through the market, and Jar Jar tries to eat a gross little frog man. <laughs> and and Which... here's, okay, here's here's the thing that gets me. And I know that he's there for comic relief and everything, but Quagon says to him, okay, do not screw things up. Don't touch anything, essentially, you know, don't do anything. But yet, when they're at the when they're at Watto's shop, he like destroys half of the shop. He's a damn bull in a china shop. And then he gets out there and he's like, mmm, frog. And it's just like, dude, that could be poisonous to you. You're on you're in a weird place. It's not very nice to do that anyway, but genuinely, is uh there are better ways to introduce us to Sebulba. Yeah. Well, anyways, this was another very long rabbit hole for me because I discovered that the shopkeeper that yells at him is a woman named Gragra, and she is a swokes swokes, and her job title is a gorgmonger. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, that's just word salad. I know, but I love it. <laughs> I dare you to put on your resume a gorg monger. Well, it turns out that those little frog things are called gorgs. <laughs> and apparently in the Star Wars universe, a gorg is just a catch-all term for any species of frog. And frogs are eaten all over the universe, which I didn't really give much thought to. But, like, Baby Yoda in the show, I don't know how much you've seen, he eats frogs, like, a oh, lot. Oh, tons of them. Apparently, that's just normal. Like, frogs are like chicken in the Star Wars universe. Oh, well, good to uh, know. Except they're called <laughs> gorgs. And there's all manner of different shapes of gorgs. Like, even the things that Jabba eats are classified as a gorg, even though some of them have specific names. They're all just a gorg. Oh, okay. Interesting. So it's like meat. So like when at the race, he bites the head off a thing. That's a different kind of gorg. Oh, that was also something that disturbed me as a kid, <laughs> biting the head off a thing and spinning it at a gong. <laughs> as long as you didn't try to repeat that with like a hot dog, you know, like bite the top <laughs> off of a hot dog and like spit it at a thing. That sounds like something that a weird child would do. <laughs> I could see myself doing that as a five-year-old, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, that was a long rabbit hole that I went down <laughs> reading all about Gra-Gra and her gorgs. <laughs> Are you enjoying this episode of I Heart Movies? Do you want more Star Wars conversation with me and Nikki? We have nearly an hour-long bonus episode up for you right now on Patreon, plus other extended episodes and more bonus content you won't find on YouTube. Patrons also get the chance to request episodes, so if you want me to cover something I've never done before, sign up and let me know. Anyways, Jar Jar tries to steal this frog, but he can't rip it off the thing, and he accidentally launches it into Sabalba's soup, and Sabalba attacks him. But he gets saved by Anakin, who tells Sebulba off, and he leaves. He can't do anything because Anakin is owned by Watto, and then I guess he would be liable if he hurt him or whatever. So Anakin invites them to come home with him because a storm is coming, and they wouldn't make it back to the ship in time. So they go home and meet his mother, Shmi Skywalker, and he shows them around. He tells Padme about his droid that he's working on which turns out to be C-3PO, and then they get introduced, their first meeting. You have R2 saying something, which you can't understand because he talks and beeps. What do you mean, naked? My parts are showing. <laughs> <laughs> and Anakin also tells Padme that he's working on a pod racer. And then they call to the ship to give an update, but the ship has received a distress call, and Obi-Wan tells them not to answer because he thinks it's a trap the stress call basically says that their people are dying and they need the queen to contact them immediately but i think that this distress call was traced anyways even though they didn't answer it because the very next scene is darth sidious sending them all to tatooine and if they if it wasn't traced then how would he know to send it to tatooine unless there was some dialogue that i missed earlier see i was kind of wondering about that is if like they actually didn't send a distress call or if they did i would assume if they had that we would have known about it but i don't think they did because you see that guy 
I can't remember his name. I didn't write it down. You see him later, and he's not in the emotional distressed state that he was. And I don't think that they were actually killing people at that point. They'd rounded right. them up and sent them off to camps. But the way the distressed call sounded, they were just killing people right and left. Everybody was dying. So I don't right. think it so was, it was basically, true. Basically gun to his head and, okay, say this now or we're going to start doing things. Either that or they somehow can deep fake this stuff. Right. I don't know. Because it didn't seem like he would have said that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, same. But either way, I think that even though they didn't answer it, I think the call was traced because somehow Sidious knew to send Maul to Tatooine. That makes sense. So they're having dinner and Anakin is telling them more about pod racing and he's the only human who can do it. And Qui-Gon thinks that he must have Jedi reflexes because pod racing, like you need to have super fast reflexes to even consider doing it. But anyways, when Qui-Gon says that he thinks he has Jedi reflexes, Anakin wonders if he's a Jedi and if he came to free them, which he says, yes, he is a Jedi, but he's not there to free them. They're trying to get to Coruscant and they're just stranded until they can get parts for the ship. Mm -hmm. And Shmi tells them that the only way that they can probably get parts is by gambling with the the junk dealers, because that's their main weakness. Everything revolves around betting on the pod races. And Anakin suggests that they take the ship that he's building and get Watto to let him pilot it for them. And then if they win, they can use the prize money for the parts they need. And Shmi doesn't like this idea, but he basically tells her that she has said that nobody wants to help anybody. So he's trying to help somebody. So he should be allowed to. And she relents. She thinks that he was meant to help them. Right. Which I'm still not sure that if it was my kid, I would (laughs) go with this. Oh, no. Agreed. Well, and it's... There, there's so much i know that they do it for there's certain reasons that they go the routes that they do but there are some things that don't make sense like as we get to the end of this especially as we roll along with things like they want all that money for taking the pod racer you can't tell me that they couldn't have paid for shmi you know that's i wrote that in my notes to talk about later <laughs> oh apologies we can talk about it later i just no like, it's, it's one true of those, it's yeah true. i it just feels like, oh, well, we're going to take your son and, and go off and, oh, well, you know, he may become a Jedi. He may not. If he doesn't become a Jedi, well, you know, we'll return him or something. We'll sell mm-hmm. him back. And, not that they would do that, but, you know. Yeah. Like some of the choices of the way things go, you just kind of look at it and go, you wrote this story this way specifically for reasons. Why didn't, I don't know. I, I yeah. have in-universe theories. <laughs> But then happy to talk about them now or then, whatever, whatever. Works I guess we could just talk about it now since we're already talking about it. But I think it's partly like, I don't know how, if they gave it that much thought at the time, but I think it probably has to do with the fact that to me and later on, you find out the Jedi were basically a little bit too full of themselves. Like that is they, true. they kind of saw themselves as above other people, even though they were trying to do the right thing. They, like the way they treat kids to me it's exploitative (laughs) especially because like they take the kids from their parents when they're not much more than infants like that's the whole point of the midichlorian test they figure out who has the highest count of midichlorians and they get all the force sensitive children and then they train them up from 
basically infancy to become Jedis. And the whole thing about them taking them away from their parents and then they shouldn't get attached, they should do attachments. Like, that's the whole reason that Anakin turned to the dark side is because they went too far with that. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not sure if that was the thinking in this scene, like getting getting him to do the work to get do the pod race for them and get them the money. But I think even if it isn't, you could tie it back into that mindset of just using kids in ways that just let them be kids and they don't let the kids be kids. That is true. And I guess my bigger concern and I. I know why. I mean, you needed that connection to Tatooine to get um, Shmi to, uh, or, you know, to, to connect Baru and Owen yeah. to Skywalkers and all that. I understand that. I just, mm-hmm. it's just like, ugh. there's no reason that as a nine-year-old, you know, traveling the planet and all that stuff, they couldn't say, he took this kid from his mom. You know, it was a bittersweet thing. She's still in slavery. He could have gone back and bought her, you know? Yeah. Or well, at least been able to see her. And I, and again, I think that that also ties back into this with they don't want the kids to have connections. True. They don't want them to be worried about it. Well, I mean, that, that's partly why they're worried about him is because they think he's going to be worried about his mom. But they don't want her there interfering with his training. Oh, no. And I, I think understand that's that. probably Qui-Gon's thinking, if he was thinking about not freeing her, I think right. that would have been why is because they don't want the kids to be with their parents. They want them to be connected just to their one Jedi master, the master in Padawan. And that's true. But you also could have like freed her and then let her gone and done yes. her own thing, you know? Definitely. Like it could have ended there, you know? That's why I'm not too sure that they gave it enough thought. I don't think that they were maliciously thinking, well, we need to oh, no, no. this child Absolutely. from mother. Absolutely but not. I, that is a valid point. They could have freed her and then let her retire on a spa planet or something (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i definitely noticed that i definitely wrote it down so we don't have to talk about it later because we just talked about it now but that is something that i was i definitely was thinking when they took him away from her and made them have that teary goodbye (laughs) like she's okay with it because she knows he's meant for greater things allegedly but well and that's kind of a mom thing though too you know like Oh, you know, the sacrifices that a mom or a dad makes for their mm-hmm. kiddos. Yeah. I mean, that plays in there too. So, but yeah, the, you have a, a conversation a little bit later on with Qui Gon and Shmi talking about Anakin and how he has special powers. And he could have been a Jedi if he'd been born in the Republic because they would have been, he would have been identified early enough for training. Right. But like you learn in other Star Wars media that that training involves complete removal from your parents it's not always like an orphan thing sometimes it is but a lot of times it's just the kid moves out when they're three right which to me (laughs) does not seem healthy i mean yes technically they are the good guys but i think that this is where the jedi by this point have gone too far in their i don't know doctrine whatever you want to say and i was kind of thinking about this while we were and i know we're so off track. I apologize. Um, no, that's fine. But I, I got thinking about like how things came about. Like, oh, you know, if if they hadn't chosen Tatooine, if they hadn't done this, if they hadn't done that. But it kind of brought me back to, to some extent, and regarded there was a lot of other stuff that connected to this. But to some extent, the reason that 
Anakin took the route that he did was because of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And, you know, I wonder how much how much Obi-Wan at least thought about that as time went on, like, oh my God. And not only trained him, but I was part of the crew that brought him from Tatooine. We should have left him there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. Regarded there were much larger things, you know, Clone Wars and, you know, secret relationships and all that kind of stuff going on. So, mm-hmm. well, I think that this is probably like the story of Anakin is probably, I guess we, we haven't, explored too much past the original trilogy to know for sure but i think that he kind of represents a cautionary tale at this point as to what the jedi how the jedi need to go about things anybody with power really yeah well as well i mean i'm talking specifically about the way they train the kids because like at this point they take the kids to me and to a lot of people back the in the story way too young Mm -hmm. and basically trained them up to be a soldier and i think at this point after the downfall of anakin i think they realized yeah we were wrong and we need to change how we do this right because like the jedi yes they're the good guys but they're also a cautionary tale about letting power go too far oh yeah i mean it's that you need to keep power in check because you can see i mean they even talk about it with um the republic or the senate you know kind of how they roll and how you know, the power of bureaucracy kind of overwhelms everything else, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, that's a lot of, you know, you look at the original trilogy and that talked a lot about, you know, power in the wrong places as well. So, mm-hmm. and then also in this conversation that Qui-Gon and Shmi have, you find out that he doesn't have a father and then you move on to Anakin and a bunch of kids who have giggling stock sound effects that I've heard in many other things. Oof. <laughs> Yeah, it's a thing. That was worse than the Wilhelm scream. Oh, yeah. Oof. That's a lot of oof right there, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. And the kids are, they have really clunky, weird dialogue, too. They do. Come on, let's go and play ball. Keep racing, Annie. You're going to be Bug Squash. <laughs> <laughs> now, is Bug Squash a type of squash that we could try and eat? Like, is it like spaghetti <laughs> squash and like acorn squash? I have to admit, I never thought of searching bug squash on Wikipedia. <laughs> I just imagine it's like a big, like beetle type bug that you take like a hammer to. Shockingly, there is no page for bug squash on Wikipedia. Yeah. It's probably one of like three things it doesn't. There's a whole bunch of shenanigans getting the pod gracer running, mostly there with Jar Jar be. being weird. Oh my God. My, my tongue. My tongue is fat. <laughs> It's like, oh, don't do the thing. And what's the first thing he does? He it's, does the thing. the thing. Yeah. <laughs> At some point during this, Anakin gets a cut. So Qui-Gon uses this as an excuse to get a blood sample. And he wants a midichlorian count. And Obi-Wan says that the reading is off the chart, over 20,000. Even Master Yoda doesn't have a count that high. Wow. I guess that now is as good a time as any to talk about midichlorians. <laughs> Yes. John, inform us what midichlorians are. Oh, there's a whole quote that I didn't write down. But <laughs> the basically, they're a microscopic life form that live in all living things, and they attune you to the force. So basically, the more midichlorians you have, the more you are in tune with the force. And to me, like I said multiple times, this is probably the first movie I ever saw. So this is just Star Wars for me. Right. No, understood. It didn't bother me at all. 
But apparently this was extremely controversial when this came out. It was kind of actually from what I remember they um I think it was more the idea of, you know, the force was just something not quantifiable. Mhm. And to quantify it down to numbers and say like, well, you don't have this, you do. It kind of takes away from the It's like when you when you explain anything. Mhm. Like you add that it takes away the mystery of it. And I think yeah. that's what people got people up in arms about. Like it never bugged me one way or the other. It's like, well, okay, you know, there's, there's, there's explanations for everything. They're just choosing to do it. I think it was more the, the bigger argument I saw with people was it was such a focus. It gets brought mm. up so many times. Like there was really no need to explain it. It could just be like, you know, the heart pumps blood. We go from there, you know, it's kind of like that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Yeah, like that in-depth explanation in a movie that already had a lot of clunky dialogue was not necessarily needed. Mm. Yeah. I think is where it more fell. At least that's what the arguments I heard. I think I can probably get behind the the argument that you didn't need to explain the force. The force is just a mystical thing. Yeah. So I I guess I get why people didn't like that, but like I said, it didn't really bother me, and I don't think it's that big of a deal to me anyway. Right, no, I get it. I think it's still somewhat unexplainable because, like, why does somebody have three metachlorians and he gets 20,000? Like, that that still could be the unexplainable part. So they head to the race. By this time, they've already talked to Watto. He's agreed to do their idea, putting Anakin in. When he fronts the racer, they're going to split the profits just enough to give them enough money, and he's going to get the rest of the money. And then he wants to further this, make a bet to free Anakin. First, he tries to do both Anakin and Shmi, but Water refuses. He says he'll do one. He uses something called a chance cube, which is basically a dice, but it has colors on it instead of numbers. And he says red or blue, he'll get either Anakin or Shmi. And Qui-Gon uses the force to make it land on Anakin. And Watto is upset about this, but he says it doesn't matter because he's never going to win anyway. And then you get a scene before the race with C-3PO and R2 talking about space travel. And and C-3PO says, I can assure you they will never get me onto one of those dreadful (laughs) starships. (laughs) And there's more exposition here where you learn that Anakin has never won a race in his life. Sabalba wins every race. And Watto is even betting on Sabalba. He doesn't believe Anakin has any chance. And Padme, she has, her jaw drops when she finds out that he's never even finished a race. Not just one, he's never finished a race. See, and that's the, I know I know that they're counting on um, Qui-Gon because, you know, he knows all or he knows quite a bit. But honest to God, there's mm-hmm. so little, oh, I trust him. Oh, he's never actually won a race. Oh, I trust him. Oh, he doesn't have a complete uh, pod racer. Oh, I trust him. Oh, he's never finished a race. Mm-hmm. I, I trust him. Oh, by the way, I'm going to put up our ship as a thing. You know, <laughs> the fate of the galaxy depends on it. You know, it's just. We, uh, we I guess we haven't really talked about Qui-Gon and Padme's interactions too much, but throughout most of this, she has disagreed with everything that he has said that they're going to do. And for me, I would be I would be Padme in that situation. Like oh, she she seems even though everything works out for Qui-Gon, Padme has more sense than Qui-Gon if you're just taking everything at face value. 
Well, and I remember reading the the book for this, and I, I was actually super excited. Like, I waited in line to be able to get a copy of this book with Obi-Wan on the cover, no less. But, um, <laughs> um, like, they talk about in the book a lot about the living, what was it? It's a living force versus some other kind of force. Like, there's two different kinds of force. One is more in the present. The other one is more per- perceptive of the future. Or, like, keeping an okay. eye more on the future. And they're... Like between Qui-Gon or Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, they're very opposing in those beliefs. Like you'll like when they first get onto the Nemoidian ship or the blockade runner or the blockade ship, um, they talk about being in the moment, living force versus whatever the other kind of forces, I can't remember. But yeah, it was really interesting to see that and then to see it translate into what was on screen. Mm. So on the race. Yes. Everybody's lining up. There's a lot of fun character designs in this race. I did not write down all the names. There's a lot of ridiculous names. Oh, so ridiculous. And a lot of like little Easter egg things to look for too, because I remember at one point you've there's this one racer that he's like a little lizard man. And I love his scream when he dies, which is a horrible thing to say, but he makes <laughs> this noise when he dies that I just love. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on in the movie, you see his grieving family. <laughs> if you're watching in the background, you can see a mother and babies of his species all crying, walking by the doorway, <laughs> which is horrible. But I love that detail. <laughs> I always think about the fact that um, like every single time one of them dies, like you see the the big engine kind of blow apart, and then you see like pieces just like yes. like rolling hardcore across the thing, with the exception of Sabalba, who just stops, beats its fists on the thing, and says "poodoo." Yes, they had some great explosions in this scene. Oh, they did very much. This is also where you see Jabba the Hut and Gardula the Hut. <laughs> he starts the race by biting the head off a gorg. And spitting it at a gong. As you do. I want to see more events start that way. I don't. (laughs) Jabba is like, even though, yes, the gorgs are to be eaten, he's like exceptionally cruel because this thing is still alive and he just bites its head off. It's not like he cooked the thing. He just kills it right there. And then later he knocks one of those little chicken things off of his stand so it falls to its death. (laughs) He's just... So casually evil. (laughs) He's quite good at it, no doubt. But the race gets going, and Anakin is left at the starting line, because I don't know if this is because of this, but Sebulba, like, knocked a piece off of his pod, and I'm not sure if that's the reason why it didn't start right away, but he is eventually able to get it going. And he does catch up to the rest of them, maybe due to the fact that half of them are dying. (laughs) Yeah, that certainly does help. But, I mean, he goes like a bat out of hell, though, too. I mean... Yes, he's extremely fast. He is, and I'm sure the small... I mean, that kind of... It's like a a small sports car kind of thing. It just, you know, it's built for speed, and that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. I finally answered a question this time through, thanks to Wikipedia, because I've always wondered, like, why do they have these big stands set up when nobody can see the action? But you can see some of it on these screens... And apparently, even though it's not shown, I feel like they should have shown the movie. They have a specific kind of droid called a hollow glide J57 cam droid that flies <laughs> after the race and films everything 
sending it back so the people in the stands can watch it. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which makes perfect sense. But I just kind of wish that they'd at least given you a shot of the, the droid following them so you could <laughs> see what's happening. Because for years I wondered, like, what are they watching? Like, how are they seeing this? And through the race, Anakin has a bunch of problems, but he manages to fix them. Yeah, literally everything goes wrong. It's such a Murphy's Law situation. Yeah, but I did like that Sebulba's sabotage eventually comes back to bite him because he gets his, the thing that he pulled on falls off and he gets a face full of black smoke <laughs> <laughs> as it's like his ship is falling apart. And then he ends up later crashing. I do actually have a question about the crash. Okay, so the two pod racers, when they're down to that last like half lap, Anakin or Sebulba like connects his pod to the other guy and they're sitting there kind of going back and forth and you know like stuck together basically and then Anakin kind of pulls it loose and you know goes on to do the thing when and and everything do you think that was on purpose like if if Anakin was the one that caused that was that on purpose I don't think so okay I don't think he meant to sabotage Sebulba's ship it was just a consequence of Sebulba trying to sabotage him Right. And Anakin was able to get free, but in the process, Sebulba got a taste of his own medicine and his ship broke. Right. I wasn't 100% sure because it was hard to tell like who hooked into who. But I um, think it was just Sebulba playing dirty. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Poodoo! <laughs> <laughs> so Anakin is the winner, but Watto does not want to free him. And it, this is the point where you can see the grieving family. So watch the doorway behind Qui-Gon. <laughs> I'll check it out. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he says that Qui-Gon has swindled him and he must have known he was going to win the race. But Qui-Gon just asks him if he'd like to take it up with the huts. So Watto relents. So he goes to tell the Skywalkers that Anakin is free. And I, I, I'm wondering, like, why didn't he tell Shmi beforehand that this was a possibility? Or did he and did I miss it? Because <laughs> it seems like something. Did. It seems like something that you would want to discuss. You'd like, even so? though she's okay with it, you'd think that he would have said, hey, if he wins, he's going to be free. Right. But again, I don't feel like the Jedi always make the best decisions, Qui-Gon included. No, definitely not. Like, Qui-Gon is very... And I'll say, like, obviously, Anik- or um, Obi-Wan has moments of not greatness, but Qui-Gon seems a much more flawed as a character in that respect. Like, he's kind of mm-hmm. taken to, the, like, the impulsive decisions that drive him being someone that purports for the living force also is a downfall in that respect. Yeah, definitely. So he tells Anakin that he's to come with him and become a Jedi. And, of course, he asks about his mother, and he just says that Watto wouldn't have it. There's nothing he could do. But I think he could have. He just didn't want to. Right. But she says her place is there. She's okay with him going off because she wants a better life for him anyway. (laughs) You you get more clunky dialogue as he's packing. Well, 3PO, I've been freed, and I'm going away in a starship. (laughs) Oh, my God. That whole thing... (laughs) I felt so bad for 3PO. He's like, um, um, you didn't finish me. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just didn't have time. You've been <laughs> a great pal. I'll make sure mom doesn't sell you or anything. Sell me. It's like being told by God. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm done playing with you now. <laughs> so they're leaving. He runs back and you have a scene with him and his mom. He asks if he'll ever see her again. He's, she asks, what does your heart tell you? I hope so. Yes. 
and he promises he'll come back and free her, which is even well, more tragic back, when you know what happens. Was, yeah, she was already she was already quote freed at that point. <laughs> yeah. So they're heading back to the Queen's ship, but they are attacked by Maul here, and they're barely able to escape. And then once they're back on the ship, Anakin is introduced to Obi-Wan. You're a Jedi too? Pleased to meet you. <laughs> He's like, oh god. Well, on the whole, uh, did you bring back another pathetic life form line from Obi-Wan? Yes. Uh, more clunky dialogue because Anakin is freezing and Padme gives him a blanket and he gives her this pendant to thank her. And he says, I carved it out of a Japur snippet. It'll bring you good fortune. When did he have time to do that? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, they have more clunky dialogue about caring for each other. And I know it's only five years between them, but the whole like insinuation of like a relationship is just kind of like okay. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> I, when I was when I was younger, I thought it was very weird that they eventually ended up together, but I don't think I realized that she was only fourteen. I thought she was an adult at this point. Right. Well, and as a kid looking at it, I could see you thinking that she did because I mean. I guess I don't know how old um, Natalie Portman was at that point, but even still, yeah. It's probably one of those things where they, like, I, yeah, I don't know how old she was, but they always get people who are older than teenagers to play teenagers, and it kind of messes with your perception of what a teenager is supposed to look like. Oh, yeah. Well, go back to, <laughs> this is a terrible comparison, but go back to any movie made in the 50s, and the teenagers are, are probably legitimately damn near 30. <laughs> Yeah, well, look at the CW slash WB. Oh, that's true. But these people, like, they, if you ever get the chance, like, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, even the blob from the 50s, it's just, they, <laughs> there's no teenager. They haven't been teenagers in at least 10 years, kind of a thing. Yeah, I know what you and mean. And they don't, I don't look know exactly what I don't know the blob, but. I know the kind of thing you're talking about. Yes. Oh, it's a it's a super fun movie. Highly suggest it. But um, I know the title. I just don't know much about it beyond that. Yeah, there's this no, blob no, of Jello thing. <laughs> oh, it's a massive. Yeah, it's a big blob of Jello thing that likes to eat people. But uh, anyway, so no, agreed. Um, yeah, it's and I guess you know they always play relationships differently. Like we we can't judge how much happens off screen. Um, you know, like like Leia and and Han, you know, how much time do they actually have to to kind of flirt and fall in love? Mm-hmm. But I feel like they were both at least in the same general area. You yeah. know, you had Padme on Naboo and you had, you know, Anakin going to do the Jedi thing. They never were really around each other all that much other than the probably what three days that they spent when he was nine. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say they probably had at most a week together here. I think yeah. that their relationship becomes something more in the second one, but they're definitely hinting at it in this scene. Oh, 100%. That's not even a question. Anyways, they arrive on Coruscant. They're met by Senator Palpatine and Chancellor Valorum. Chancellor Valorum says he's called a special session of the Senate to hopefully resolve this issue they have. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan head back to the Jedi Council while Anakin and Jar Jar go with the Queen. And she and Palpatine talk, and this is where he starts manipulating her even more, placing doubts into her head about what's going to happen with the Senate, and basically tells her unless she wants to accept the Trade Federation controlling the whole planet, she needs to call for a vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum. Basically, he's setting the seeds for kicking him out so he can take his place. Absolutely. 
So Qui-Gon reports to the Jedi Council. I, I don't want to go too rabbit trail but I love the, the designs of a bunch of these characters. Oh, yeah. And the names. Like, there's this guy with a long neck. His name is Yariel Poof. <laughs> <laughs> so one real quick thought on Coruscant. And this is... If you didn't know Coruscant, you would say, okay, yeah, it's a giant planet covered with a city. But the way that it's described in, in any book, part of the expanded universe, mm-hmm. versus what you see, I was... I wasn't disappointed, but it was just like, this is supposed to be such an expansive thing. And it, it looks flat. Like there's not a lot of detail to it. Mm-hmm. Like you get better. It, they, they get, obviously you're there for not a long time. It's meant to be more of a passing planet thing, but mm-hmm. you see so much more of it and kind of how it rolls in, in um, attack of the clones. Yeah. But I was kind of, I remember seeing this and being kind of disappointed at the, the lack of depth that you kind of got into. Yeah. Well, you get more in, like cl- the Clone Wars series, you get a lot more oh, there sure. as well, because you like go in down to, into the, like the underbelly of the city, into the like because like there is basically below the buildings, no sun can reach there. No, so absolutely. it's like it's dark all the time with neon lights everywhere. It's like a really seedy place. And oh, there's yeah. a there's a bunch of Clone Wars episodes that are set down below the city. That's really interesting. It's quite, it's a lot like Blade Runner in the setup of it, like the darkness and kind of the dampness and kind of just that, that seedy, grimy underbelly. Mm-hmm. Like the design yeah. for Coruscant is, is fascinating. It yeah. really truly is. Yeah. You also have, there, this is like the only scene where you ever see her, but there's a female of Yoda's species and her name is Yaddle. Oh, I remember seeing that. That was like, ah, that's cool. <laughs> There's actually a relatively new series. It's sort of a spinoff of the Clone Wars, but it it gives like backstories to a bunch of Jedi. It's called Tales of the Jedi. And there was an episode Mm -hmm. that focused on Yaddle. So you actually get her as a character doing Jedi things. Have they ever named what Yoda and Yaddle's species is? No. Um, From what I've read, George Lucas never wanted the species name to be known because it's one of those things where it spoils the magic to explain too much. Oh, it's like explaining midichlorians then is what you're saying. Yes, which he doesn't (laughs) take his own advice. But I I don't know if that might be one of those rules that they will never break because like they have Grogu now and Mm -hmm. they're they're not talking much about his backstory. So if they don't explain it with Grogu, like talk about where he came from, I kind of don't think they ever will. No, <laughs> we'll see what sense. happens in the next season or so with him. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like the most mysterious thing in Star Wars at this point. Like no one knows where Yoda came from. Right. And honestly, you could take it from just a perspective of what is in a name, you know, does it really matter? Do we need to know? Honestly, at this point, we know that obviously the three of Yoda's species that we've met are all intensely force strong. They also mm-hmm. look a little bit like frogs, but they also like frogs. So <laughs> where does that fall? <laughs> well, Jar Jar is basically a giant frog and he eats a frog. So true. That's very true. Look at the, the frog. It's a froggy frog on. world. <laughs> froggy frog universe (laughs) nice nice i was gonna say for this particular scene i found it very interesting you know they're they're talking about and i guess it brought up a question with me you know they're talking about how um you know anakin was had much fear in him and all that stuff and they're like we're not gonna train you but 
what would have happened to him if they had continued to say, well, no, we're not going to train you? Like, where would he have ended up? Well, I think with Qui-Gon, I think Qui-Gon would have taken him anyway. I think mm-hmm. Qui-Gon probably was being prepared to leave the Jedi. The way he was talking, it was like, I'm doing this. Right. And then later on, towards the end of the movie, Obi-Wan almost says as much when he says that he's going to train him, whether he has the council's approval or not. True. And that's when Yoda relents. Yeah, and that was more the basis based on, you know, the fact that, well, this, I promised Obi-Wan, or uh, mm-hmm. Qui-Gon, yeah. That's why I think that that was where Qui-Gon was going to go with it, because he yeah. promised him and made Obi-Wan promise. Yeah, that's fair. So, that's but when he gets to the council, he tells them what happened on Tatooine. He believes that the Sith have returned, which they think seems impossible because the Sith have been extinct for a millennia. But they do want to investigate this just in case. And then he tells them about Anakin and his high midichlorian count. And he thinks he's the subject of an ancient prophecy of one who will bring balance to the force. (laughs) But what does that mean? (laughs) I'm still not clear exactly what that prophecy means or how that plays out. Like, is bringing balance to the force just the fact that he kills Palpatine in episode six? (laughs) Like, I don't know. I kind of took it as being that he killed all the other Jedi. Oh, that's a dark way to take it. Yeah. <laughs> like the light side got too strong. The dark needed to rise a bit. Yeah. Well, and the balance, <laughs> balance is a relative phrase. Balance does, you know, we, we, we equate balance with good, but yeah. balance could be a lot of things. Okay. I actually, I think I like this one better, even though it's dark. I think I like that explanation <laughs> a lot better. That's always what I thought. And then, you know, you had Palpatine get too high and mighty in the original trilogy. So then Luke comes along and, you know, you know, yeah. evens things out again. Well, either way, I guess maybe the prophecy is more about one person or one group not having too much power. Right. Well, and it's interpretation, like you could have given Palpatine that same thing and they could be like, oh, well, clearly, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I wonder if it's ever been explained well enough. I'm not doing a Wikipedia deep dive <laughs> right now, but I just wonder if that's ever been specifically <laughs> explained. I'm sure someone somewhere has. I mean, the amount of books and media yeah. talked about with that stuff, I don't see how it couldn't. Mm-hmm. So they don't right away agree with him, but they ask him to bring him before them. So Anakin is going to go see the council. But before that, he goes to see Padme to say goodbye. And she is, quote-unquote, not there. The queen, <laughs> wink, meets him <laughs> and says that they will tell her goodbye for him because they're sure her thoughts are with him. So then she also leaves. She goes off to the Senate to deliberate. I like the scene with the Senate. It's such a weird sort of grounded in reality idea to have all of these representatives from all these places but it's it's also very cool because you can see all these different species oh, like yeah, you can no. see you can see gragras species <laughs> in the senate <laughs> you and they they even have an easter egg in here where you can see t- some ets oh and that's so right et is apparently canon to the star wars universe which kind of makes me like if you've ever seen et you know there's a scene where he sees someone in a yoda mask and says home so <laughs> does he know yoda yes 
Yes, he does. Or, like, since this is supposed to be a long time ago, maybe this is a descendant of, or someone someone else in Yoda species. I don't know if Yoda ever <laughs> had kids, but it's someone in the Yoda species that that ET knows. <laughs> <laughs> All those kind of species know each other in some way, shape, or form. So, <laughs> so yeah, the Senate doesn't get very far. Everything seems to be playing out like. Senator Palpatine told her that it would, so she calls for a vote of no confidence. Which I I also wonder why did he want her to do it because he's the senator, you right? Think that but it's would... gonna come. It's gonna. It's gotta because um, it's, it probably it's would throw Amidala. off suspicion from him, right? Like well, it would and... look weird if he's the one who got who called for the vote of no confidence, and then he's the one who gets to be the replacement. It would look weird. Absolutely. Well, that end. She's the one with the grievance. Like it's going to come, it coming from the leader of a planet that's currently, you know, her saying, hey, this stuff is happening on my planet. Palpatine isn't there. So he can. It is, it is technically his grievance too, but he is not, he does not seem quite as worried about it as she does. Right. Right. So Anakin is before the council. They're testing him and he does very well, but Yoda senses the fear in him, fear to lose his mother. Then you get. What I think is like one of the best quotes of the movie. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And it's one of those things where that that feels like something that could have come out of the original trilogy. Because oh, there's yeah. so much that Yoda says that like this is where George Lucas put all of his good writing was in Yoda. Oh yeah. Well, and I think Yoda is one of those characters that you have to write well. Yeah. You know, it's about like Watto not mincing words. He yeah. did have a little bit of balance when it came to those things, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. Not a lot, but enough. So after they've left the Senate, the Queen is talking to Jar Jar about the invasion of their planet. And he wonders if his people are going to get pasted as well. <laughs> <laughs> she says she hopes not. And he says that the Gungans know dying without a fight. They have a grand army. <laughs> or Wisa have a grand, something like that. His weird words. But I think this plants the seeds of her plan later. Right. But they're interrupted here with the announcement that Palpatine has been nominated to succeed Chancellor Valorum. And he kind of goes off on the whole, like politician speech. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, totally. I'll do what I can. And it's like, just, just, just. you know first you have his iconic line that has been beamed to death a surprise to be sure but a welcome one (laughs) (laughs) that is like one of the iconic meme lines from this movie oh absolutely and then he says if i'm elected i promise to bring an end to corruption in the senate (laughs) which is like i mean this is every politician ever I mean, but he he's not wrong. He uh he did bring corruption to the end in the Senate by dissolving <laughs> by the, ending Senate. the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> That's like I've I've read that in I'm not sure if this is canon anymore, but at least back when they were doing the original the prequel trilogy, after the events of all the, the movies have happened, to save money, basically, he refuses to pay the Kaminoans anymore. Like he refuses to pay for any more clones because the the deal they made was with a government that no longer exists. So he basically wow. just doesn't pay them anymore. <laughs> Same thing. 
yeah <laughs> bring an end to corruption in the senate by ending the senate absolutely i mean it's a very uh outside the box approach i guess <laughs> a very corrupt politician <laughs> approach <laughs> yes absolutely so she tells him that she feels like there's nothing more she can do she's going back to naboo he says i, I think he feigns concern telling her to stay where there where it's safe if she goes back she'll be forced to sign the treaty and she refuses she says my fate will be no different than that of our people and then back at the jedi council they're rejecting anakin coming on as a padawan so qui-gon says he will take him and they are like no you already got obi-wan and he says obi-wan is ready he can face the trials he can become a jedi knight he's there's not much more he can teach him and they basically end this here. They say, we're going to figure this out all later. We need to worry about what's going on in the Senate and about this Sith. So they think that the Sith is going to be drawn out of hiding by the Queen returning to Naboo. So they send them to go back with them. And this is where I had another question here, where it's like, yes, Anakin is sort of like under the care of Qui-Gon, but like they know they're sending Qui-Gon on a dangerous mission. There is a potential Sith on the loose. <laughs> why Why don't they keep the kid with them so he doesn't get killed? Because where are you going to find a babysitter this late in the day? <laughs> well, they could leave him with the librarian that you meet in the next movie. <laughs> yeah, but would you really trust that? I mean, the kid's already reeling from, or <laughs> apparently quote-unquote reeling, even though it doesn't really seem like he is, you know, from the loss of his mother and his home planet and, you know, starting an exciting new adventure, but then being, uh, you know, basically told, well, you're far too emotional to be a Jedi and you're way too old. You you old 10 year or nine year old. How dare you? It's practically ancient in Padawan years. <laughs> you're like an actress over 40. You're just you're too old for this business, kid. <laughs> So anyways, yes, they're all heading back with the queen, including Anakin. And Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are kind of having a disagreement about Anakin. Obi-Wan is basically siding with the council. He thinks he's dangerous. And then more more clunky conversation about midi-chlorians. What? Oh, come on. Anakin it's not and clunky. <laughs> this is where that line that you quoted earlier came from <laughs> this whole scene is basically a big exposition dump to fill, fill you in on what a midichlorian is oh, it so is oh my god <laughs> and then back on Naboo Newt and Rune are giving their update to Darth Sidious they say they've <laughs> taken over the last pockets of primitive life forms they now con completely control the planet and he tells them he's going to make sure things stay the, the way they are in the Senate. And he's sending Darth Maul to join them on Naboo. And then everybody else is getting back to Naboo, but nobody is certain what to do when they get there. They don't have enough people for an army big enough to take on the droids. Right. And Qui-Gon basically says he's only there to protect her. He can't fight a war for her. So she calls Jar Jar forward. And when he land, or when they land, he's going to go arrange a meeting between the Queen and Bosnas. So they land in the swamp and they're all waiting for him to get back. And Obi-Wan apologizes for disagreeing with him earlier, with Qui-Gon earlier about Anakin. And he thanks him for his confidence in him that he's ready to become a Jedi Knight. And Qui-Gon tells him that he's a much wiser man than he is. And he predicts he'll become a great Jedi Knight, which I think I agree with. <laughs> oh, definitely. 
I mean, there is some stuff that points in that direction, so. Yes. Like, I like Qui-Gon as a character, but he is too in the moment. <laughs> yeah, he he's very, yeah. He does the leap of faith without, yeah. like. It seems to work out for him though, so I guess we can't we can't criticize him too much. <laughs> Very true. I would have liked to have seen more with him, honestly. And I know Liam Neeson was probably not gonna be one that would stick around, but it would have mm-hmm. been interesting to see how that would have gone. It'll be interesting to see if they make a second season of the Obi-Wan series if he comes back as a force ghost. True. Because I could Which... see that being a thing that they do, have him for a few episodes. Oh, yeah. I do find it like the fact, and I know it's something that was brought up every now and again, but the fact that uh, Obi or that Quagon didn't like turn into a force ghost right away, did they ever explain the why of that? Yes. Because at that point, being a force ghost is something that not a whole lot of people knew how to do. And it takes an extreme amount of training to be able to do it. Ah, And because he didn't know beforehand, he had to wait until he died to learn about it and train to come back as a force ghost. Oh, Whereas okay. Yoda knew about it when he was, well, both Yoda and Obi-Wan, they they knew about it before they died and they trained for it in their isolation. So they were able to come back much sooner than Qui-Gon was. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Because you have a very brief scene in Attack of the Clones where you hear Qui-Gon's voice calling out to Anakin when Anakin is like going on his killing spree. Right. Oh yeah, you're right. And then I believe there might be an episode in the Clone Wars series where you hear Qui-Gon's voice as well. It's been a while since I've watched like most of that series, so I can't say for sure, but I think you hear his voice in an episode there as well. Yeah. So well, I know- you're, you're able to like speak from the other side. But as far as like showing up, it takes training. Right. Well, and even the, um, when Ray, there was, gosh, I don't remember which episode it was. I think it was, um, the rise of Skywalker, but there's a point where all the Jedi or all the Jedi masters of the past talked to her. And I know he was one of them. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that they had, I like, it's, there's so many talking all at once that it's hard to figure out too, but I know they had a lot of cameos from people who are in other series right like other jedis that have been on screen that you wouldn't necessarily know just listening to it you had to like listen close and look at a credits screen to figure out who it was yeah that or i think they talked about it too like on the subtitles like the if you have the subtitles on it would say oh yeah i think i could be wrong on that but it's been a hot minute i'll have to when we get to that one, I'll have to, like, I always watch things these days with subtitles anyways. Yeah, so same. I'll notice it then. So Jar Jar eventually comes back. He says that the city is abandoned. It looks like they might have been attacked. The others think that they were wiped out, but he says he thinks that they might be hiding because the Gungans have a hidden city that they'll go to in times of crisis. So they head for this hidden city, and Boss Nass blames them for bringing the mechaniques <laughs> <laughs> and the queen tries to speak to him but she is interrupted by padme who reveals herself to be the true queen <laughs> 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 the other has been a decoy this whole time she tells him that they may not always get along but they've always lived in peace and the trade federation is trying to bring an end to everything they've all built right 
and they need to work together to defeat them. And then she kneels before him and begs for his help, and everybody else follows suit, which he likes. Oh, yeah, he's all about that. (laughs) He likes that she doesn't see herself as above them, so maybe we sub being friends. (laughs) 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 By this point, Maul has arrived, and Newt and Rune report to Sidious again, Amidal is back, but instead of returning to the city like they thought she was going to do, they found her starship in the swamp, and Sidious thinks that this is unexpectedly aggressive, and Maul needs to be careful. They're supposed to wait to see what she does first before they go and do anything. Meanwhile, the Gungans prepare for war, and Boss Nass congratulates Jar Jar for bringing the Naboo and the Gungans together and makes him a general which seems like a really dumb idea. Jar Jar promptly faints, which Boss Ness thinks is hilarious. I would think that that I would be like, uh, did I just make the right choice here? This guy is... (laughs) (laughs) He he doesn't seem fit for this position. Not really. Not in any way, shape, or form. He does do a couple of things later. By accident. Yeah, being a general was not required for that particular part of it. No. And at this point, the Queen's guards all return, reporting that the Naboo have been put away into camps. But some of the people there have put together a resistance movement, and they've brought back some of the leaders, but they still don't have enough people to do much. The droid army turns out to be a lot larger than they thought it was going to be, and they don't have any way to win this battle. But Padme tells them that it doesn't matter because the battle is a diversion. Once the droids are drawn out of the city to, to fight the Gungans, they're going to sneak in and capture Newt Gunray, and the pilots are going to get, they're going to get their ships back and fly into orbit to take out the droid control ship before the droids can kill too many Gungans. A good plan of attack, if it actually works. Yes. So then we get another Sith update, (laughs) and Newt tells Sidious what he thinks Queen Amidala is doing, and thinks she's just being very foolish. But Sidious thinks they can use this to their advantage, and he wants the Gungans wiped out. So on the battlefield, the Gungans have all of their... It's To me, it seems maybe too complicated, but like we said, maybe they've just been underestimated this whole time. They have these blue energy spears and shields and things that... Like, they're some of my favorite weapons in Star Wars. Oh, they're great. Well, it's weird because they have, like, the catapult... Like, they've got the fancy orbs... But yet they're yeah. using like basic catapults and stuff. Yeah, it's like it's like slingshots and trebuchets. That's why it's like a weird mix of primitive but really complicated. Well, and here's the thing again, I and I could be wrong on this, but I would imagine that like they're probably used to fighting underwater, and who would they fight underwater? But trying to um like make their stuff good for land, that's maybe why they use the animals and such. Because, you know, you can propel something through the water pretty easily, but Mm. on land, it's a whole other story as to how you do that. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll have to read some more expanded (laughs) universe stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So they're heading into battle with the droids, and the queen and her troops are preparing to get into the palace. Qui-Gon tells Anakin that once they're inside, he needs to find a hiding spot and stay there. Sure. Because that's going to happen. Stay in that cockpit, Anakin, but stay in the cockpit. <laughs> or yeah. what? <laughs> I, I'm still questioning why they brought him at all. They could have dug a pit for him to hide in. 
<laughs> out in the middle of the swamp where nobody's gonna see him. Well, he'd still but get whatever. The yeah, that's that that right there is where you have to remember just a well, but whatever. <laughs> so the queen and everybody get inside. They start shooting up the hangar where all the ships are. Newt is starting to freak out because he thinks the he thought the battle was going to be far away from him, and now they're in the palace. <laughs> and the pilots all take off in their ships, and Anakin just decides to hide in one while they're all flying off in them. And I'm not sure if they brought just enough people to fill the ships, like just enough pilots to fill the ships, because you see one pilot get shot. And I'm thinking that maybe that's their thinking, like, well, now there's an extra ship so he can hide in there. Right. I don't know. Well, and then uh, uh, R2-D2 being randomly pulled that's up into t- the ship, too. too. That was also <laughs> weird. He just, he drives underneath it and then the ship grabs him. It's like, Okay. But how often does R2, like, he just does that. Like, he's born under a lucky star or something, you know? Yeah. I guess that is kind of what he's made for. So maybe it was just an impulse based on his programming to go towards that area of the ship. I don't know. Absolutely, yeah. And while all this is happening, you get another scene. Like, you're you're eventually going to be flashing between four different battles. So I'm not going to be talking about every single scene, but... This one scene where the battle is just about to begin, the droids have been released from their tank things, and they're now active. And one of the Gungan leaders, Captain Tarples is his name, turns to Jar Jar and says, ouch time. (laughs) 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 So once the ships have all flown off, the queen and her troops are met by Maul and destroyer droids. And Qui-Gon tells Anakin to stay in that cockpit while he and Obi-Wan go off to fight Maul while the Queen and her army are fighting the droids. But Anakin decides to turn on the ship and start blasting the droids, which is a good idea in theory, but he doesn't know what he's doing. And the ship takes off because apparently they were all pre-programmed to fly out to the droid control ship. But at least he does manage to take out the droids so the Queen and her guys can keep going. And this is where you get the worst dialogue of the movie, (laughs) including the worst line of the movie. Because once they get out into space, for some reason, R2 has not been able to turn off the autopilot or whatever. But once they're out towards the droid control ship, he says, R2, get us off this autopilot. It's going to get us both killed. (laughs) And then one second later, you did it, R2. Okay, let's go left. Then R2's Spinny moves are good. <laughs> Go back. Qui-Gon told us to stay in this cockpit, so that's what I'm going to do. I'll try spinning. That's a good trick. And that is my <laughs> least favorite line of this entire movie, and I hate it so much. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> this, that is the worst line of this whole movie. I'll it's take all good. of the other clunky dialogue, but for some reason, <laughs> I'll try spinning. That's a good trick. Every time I hear that line, I cringe. Yeah, it was at this point, just generally, and then and now, because I haven't seen this one. I've maybe seen it once since it was in theater. So this is like my third viewing of it. This is where the sticks kind of went away. And I know that they were going for that fun, like, oh, it's a kid behind the thing. He does not, he doesn't mm-hmm. have a care in the world. But it kind of takes away all of the stakes. Yeah, that's probably why I hate it so much, because it just... 
it just turns silly. And this none of what none of the other stuff that's had other than Jar Jar, of course. None of the other stuff in all the other battles is silly. It's all extremely dangerous. And then right. you've just got this kid, I'll try spinning. That's a good trick. <laughs> but yeah, back at the palace, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have fought Maul into this giant power station room. And they have all these, like, I'm not sure exactly what's going on in this room, but it's like all these reactor towers and shafts and I don't know. It's, it's like stuff nuclear there power. To, to just be, uh, it's, it's plot convenience. Uh, yes, exactly. But they're, they're, they're using all of the stuff really well to choreograph this fight so i can't complain too much because it does look very cool all the long platforms and the deep holes and everything oh it's very cool they did a great job with it Mm -hmm. they also have these i'm not sure exactly what they are i think they're supposed to be like cooling vents or something that open and close that they have to fight around and they use those to both break up the battle and make them pause for like a moment of silence which i thought was a really cool thing like visually and thematically but then also to separate obi-wan and qui-gon because at this point obi-wan is stuck like qui-gon has to go and fight him alone right and the way he like you say the way he kind of meditates and tries to get his head in place yeah and then back at the gungan battle you get it's it's not quite as silly as the anakin stuff but jar jar like accidentally discovers how to beat the droids and accidentally fires a bunch of bullets at the, the droids <laughs> from their own guns and accidentally takes out the tanks. It's just a, it's supposed to be like a comedy of errors that turns good. Right. It's a Steve Urkel. It's a, did I do that? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Jar Jar is the Steve Urkel of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he really is, honestly. He there is, is no of. character. There is no character like him in the original trilogy. No. So does that mean that the fabled Sith version would be the Stefan Urkel? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say yes. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, That's definitely, oh, my God. Oh, that that brings up one thing that I found really interesting. Um, The way that they transport, this is going back just a little bit, but the way that they transport the droids um mm-hmm. and have them kind of like come out of the of the the big tank things yeah like this gigantic like ferris wheel of things and it's just like okay we're gonna let out this group and then that group and then the other group and mm-hmm. yeah they need a chiropractor though after sitting in that position for so long <laughs> i think that that's kind of one thing that i like about their design is how foldable they are so it makes it so <laughs> they use they them can... as chairs <laughs> they probably could but it makes them so they can fit so many in such a small space. But it also, it it's also kind of genius. And I'm not sure how much they thought about this in this movie. But in the next movie, when you find out where the droids came from, like the the bug people on Geonosis, the Geonosians, mm-hmm. the the fact that they they made them makes so much sense because they're almost like a hive mind, and they're almost bug like in their design. It just, like I said, I don't know if they were thinking about that in the first movie when they designed them, but then to have them be designed by this hive of bugs was, I thought, a really cool touch. Oh, very much so. But his good fortune doesn't last very long because the Gungans are still captured and Jar Jar immediately gives up while Captain Tarpal's face palms. (laughs) (laughs) 
And the queen has managed to get all the way inside at this point, but she is also captured. And the pilots aren't making great strides on the droid control ship. And Anakin manages to accidentally crash inside the droid ship when his fighter overheats. By this point, Maul has gotten the upper hand in the fight because he separated Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. So Qui-Gon is fighting alone while Obi-Wan has been more than one time separated, like knocked down a shaft. He's currently trapped behind one of the vents. He's very good at getting rid of one of them to fight the other on his own. Very true. So at this point, this is where Qui-Gon gets stabbed and Obi-Wan can do nothing but watch from behind the vent window. All you get is that classic, no! <laughs> I, you, when you said no, you, you cut out completely. I don't know if you blew out your microphone or what. Probably. Let me try again. <laughs> no! Uh, Much better. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> if you were saying no that entire time, you did cut out again. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I don't think that Zoom likes your, you saying no. Well, what can you do? People are weird. So Padme is brought before Newt Gunray, and he tries to force her to sign the treaty. But then the decoy queen shows up and starts blasting the droids, and Newt yells that they should go after her because this one's a decoy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, congratulations. You, you figured it out. <laughs> Except she was a decoy in a different sense because he actually had the queen. Exactly. And now he has sent all of his droids after the fake queen. So, like, he's really dumb. This is like the it dumbest move. Because even if she wasn't the queen, she's still fighting on behalf of the queen. And why leave this group basically unattended while you send all the <laughs> droids off after the other one? <laughs> So because his... they're not good at battle, they're they're good no. at backroom deals. They're not yes. good at uh, this part of it. So yes, it's one of those things where you can be really smart in one way and just totally stupid in another way. <laughs> so while his back is turned, Padme has managed to open. I think it's on her throne or something. She has a secret panel where she's hidden some weapons. And she throws one to her captain and they take out the rest of the droids because there was just a few left in the room. And then they trap the two left. <laughs> my my autocorrect did so many things with Newt Gunray. Oh no, <laughs> I bet so. <laughs> right now with this line, I have his name as Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Nuts Gunray could be his... um. <laughs> he went by before he changed it for political reasons <laughs> could be anyways they're trapped and she says now viceroy we will discuss a new treaty that's right <laughs> and back at the power station obi-wan has finally managed to get out from behind the vent he's gone after maul but he's knocked down another reactor shaft and has lost his lightsaber that happens to him a lot i think he needs to um have an automatic um retractor on that thing. <laughs> Like one of those leash things. Yes, I think <laughs> like that would put, be Like you press the button and it winds in. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Good. Like good. a dog leash kind of a deal? Yes. And back at the droid control ship, I guess R2 must have fixed the ship because they get it going again. And they somehow accidentally just blow the thing up. He did not mean to do this. <laughs> and then they fly out. Now this is pod racing. <laughs> 
another uh, classic line, I guess. <laughs> yes, a very memed line. Yes. And of course, without this control ship, all the droids deactivate, so the Gungans win by default. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! And Obi-Wan manages to get himself out of the reactor shaft, grabs Qui-Gon's lightsaber at, at the same time as he's jumping up, and in one move just slices Darth Maul in half, knocking him down the reactor shaft. But he can't grab onto anything because he's too in shock from being sliced in half. That would be quite a painful moment, though, honestly. Yes. So he's dead, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> you find out later he's not dead, but at this point, no. he's dead, basically. Well, I mean, the Emperor was supposed to be dead, too, but yes. that didn't exactly happen. Sort of. <laughs> In a, yeah, retconable, exactly. a retconned way. Exactly. He was dead, but they not got really. him back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, Monty Python. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I'm feeling better. I think I'll go for a walk. Thank you. That's been my impression of like that scene from Monty Python. <laughs> it's just a flesh wound. So Obi-Wan rushes to Qui-Gon, who, with his dying breath, makes him promise to train Anakin. He is the chosen one. Which, why is he? How is he still alive? The Force. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> So Padme's troops escort the Trade Federation back to the Senate to confess what they've done. And Palpatine arrives, thanking the Jedi, and tells Anakin that he will watch his career with great interest. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> the Queen congratulates him on his election because he is now the new Supreme Chancellor. And he congratulates her on freeing their people and says, together they will bring peace and prosperity to the Republic. According to who? To him. Yep. And a bunch of the Jedi Council, and probably just some Jedi too, arrive on Naboo for Qui-Gon's funeral. And at this point, Yoda's telling Obi-Wan that they do grant him the status of Jedi Knight, but he does not agree with taking Anakin on as his Padawan. He does think it's possible that he is the chosen one of the prophecy, but he senses great danger in training him. But Obi-Wan tells him that Qui-Gon believed in him, and he gave Qui-Gon his word, so he has to train him, even if he has to go against the Council to do so. And Yoda says, he he basically tells him that he senses Qui-Gon's defiance in him, but he reluctantly agrees that he can't take Anakin on as his apprentice, even if he doesn't like the idea. Right. <laughs> so at the funeral, he tells Anakin that he is allowed to train him, and he promises that he will be a Jedi. But will he be a good Jedi? For a few years, he will be. Yeah, a couple. You get a scene here with Mace Windu and Yoda discussing Darth Maul. And they've concluded that there was no doubt that he was a Sith. But Yoda says there's always two Sith at a time, a master and apprentice. But which was destroyed, the master or the apprentice? A very good question. Then there's a victory party with a parade. As Boss Ness yells, peace, <laughs> holding a glowing purple orb. And I tried to find out what that glowing purple orb was, but I couldn't find anything on Wikipedia. <laughs> I wanted to know. I say just create an entry and make it up your as you go. <laughs> I probably could and no one would know. <laughs> That's basically the end, but I do want to say that I love the music in this scene. It's some of my favorite Star Wars music. 
Oh yeah. Oh, and we didn't talk about the um battle of or what was it? Um the Duel music of the where Fates. Yeah, Duel we of Fates, have. yeah. Yeah. The, the, all was... the music through their their battle was amazing. Yeah. Just that the choir and yes. It's just so you know, there's a lot of music that doesn't stand out, but that one is right up there with um like the the you know the imperial march and you know mm, leia's yeah. tune you know there's there's some that just stand out more and that one is mm-hmm. both incredibly epic and it deserves the reputa- reputation that it has yeah all the star wars movies have amazing music but at least of the prequels this one has the best music oh between definitely. between the duel of the fates and this parade music i just mm-hmm. i love the music in this movie i would agree well, that's basically the Phantom Menace in <laughs> four hours. <laughs> Hopefully I won't be able to cut it down to be a lot less than four hours. <laughs> It'll be 3.5. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's about two and a half hours of tangents. Oh, probably. <laughs> I will definitely be it's making more, a tangent. It's more episode. tangent than podcast now. Twisted and evil. <laughs> <laughs> more like twisted and ridiculous. Well, yeah, that's that's to be expected. Anyways, I guess we will probably call it a podcast there. Do <laughs> you want to let people know where they can find you if they want more from you? Uh, you can find me here on YouTube at Trivial Theater. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, also at Trivial Theater. I do a wide variety of random, obscure, and straight-up bad movies. And uh, within the past uh, four months, I also did um, Star Wars Holiday Special um so as a collab so uh, that was a lot of fun but definitely ch- stop over uh check it out uh enjoy okay and thank you john as always for having me on it's always a pleasure until next time don't work too hard Thanks for listening to iHeartMovies. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to our YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well, and if you want more content from us, check out one of the other podcasts in the iHeartMovies podcast network, or check out my brand new Patreon. My link tree, as well as any other relevant links, will be in the description. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.